Hello and welcome to the podcast of Dawn's House because what the world needs most right now is a podcast about the Babysitter's Club. I'm Esther. I'm Karen. And I'm Eva. And today for Halloween we are going a bit out of sequence and we are discussing the first uh, Babysitter's Club super mystery, Babysitter's Haunted House. And we have a lot of opinions. So, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, we're sort of regretting having chosen this particular book, to be honest. Yes, (laughs) I apologize. (laughs) This is entirely my fault. Okay, so I read this one back in the day. Did you? Yeah, so... um, What did you remember of it from then? Weirdly, there were like two things where I remember the exact specific wording, which were just not relevant to the plot or anything at all. There's a bit where... I think it's Claudia and Christy are searching for something mysterious in the hallway and they get caught by another person who they're staying in the house with who's like, what are you doing? And they lie about it um, and say that they're looking for the back of an earring that um, Claudia has lost. And she's like, oh, well, it doesn't matter. It's nothing important. We'll just, oh, we can just go. And he's like, yeah, well, what if it was so important? Like, why are you bothering? (laughs) And I, I remember that bit word for word. Why? I don't know. And there were huge swathes of important slash you know <laughs> i've got air quotes going on there are a lot of important things that happened in this book that i had completely forgotten <laughs> including this the solution to the mystery <laughs> that's good though i mean it's, it's always better that way you know you you that's, yeah you know that's the whole thing yeah but i'm not sure i got to the solution it could be <laughs> you might have just given up I gave up for reasons that will probably become clear as we describe the book there's a lot of plot these ones are a lot longer than the main series ones um and if you haven't read the super specials before they they swap narrators they do the game of thrones thing where like each chapter is from a different character's point of view Mm -hmm. including like andrew brewer who gets a (laughs) deeply pointless chapter four-year-olds i actually thought that was clever the particular chapter they gave him it was a nice touch but also it was cute yeah um Yeah. yeah I, I would not have made that editorial choice, no. <laughs> I have yeah. to say. The intro um, paragraphs of each pay, of each um, chapter are actually in the, the babysitter's handwriting and also sometimes Karen Brewer's handwriting. Yes. Uh, so uh, that's kind of interesting. This is way bigger file on my Kindle <laughs> than the other ones because the, the Kindle doesn't bother reproducing those. Oh, all the ones I've had except for when I bought the first four in a bundle did that. And I, and I the first four when I got didn't have that. And then I bought them and I'm like, oh yeah, I can barely read any of these fuckers writing. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Jesse, why do you need to take up that much space per word? Also, Marianne, this is meant to be the best writing. It is one of the least legible. Like It's awful. Claudia, who's who's full of spelling mistakes, is way easier to read, like, than the rest of them by far. Yeah. They do a lot of like old lady cursive that is just quite hard to get through. <laughs> Yeah, tons of uh, Dawn's is actually really easy to read because she just does like um yeah uh, she doesn't do cursive. I can't remember yeah. what normal writing is called, guys. <laughs> normal writing. It's called normal writing. Okay. I know that uh, Stacy has little hearts on her eyes, yes. which is cute, <laughs> and also quite easy to read. But yeah, so there were there were some reading these growing up. I just didn't bother, so I would start each chapter going, I don't know what that was referring to, <laughs> but there's I'm damned if I'm gonna like try a piece through this awful cursive. Especially, you were really young when you read it, so you probably weren't even doing what we in school anyway used to call joint writing anyway. That is yeah. true. Yeah, my daughter could manage most of them, but because Claudia has the combination of spelling mistakes and cursive, she has to like bring the Kindle down and ask me to read those bits for her. Oh, bless. 
<laughs> which is fair enough. It's good to be needed. That didn't even occur to me to to get my folks to do that. Uh, I thought you meant now, and I'm like, who would you get to read them for you? <laughs> Brian, <laughs> Esther, <laughs> Ringer. <laughs> No, I don't think Brian would be interested. I'd definitely bring <laughs> Thank you. That means a lot to me. All right. So it's it's one of the like infinite summer holidays that the girls have. Mm-hmm. They have finished an unspecified grade and in September they will start an unspecified grade because time repeats in an endless loop. Um so Christy is being a bitch, basically. Um is telling everyone that they have to work as hard as possible because capitalism or something um it's really unclear her reasoning yeah she like thinks if we if we start turning down jobs at all then no one will ever hire us again because we're unreliable yeah that thread kind of inexplicably runs through the whole Mm -hmm. book so she's really put the frighteners on mallory and jesse who are now members of the babysitter club um and uh yeah this this is gonna have spoilers guys sorry i hope you weren't like there's just a whole bunch of stuff that i don't even remember happening at all that happened in this book i mean on the other hand the book was published in 1995 so you know so we're past the spoiler moratorium yes that's that's a point (laughs) all right yeah basically stacy has fucked off somewhere she sure has she's hanging out with other friends and she has a boyfriend oh yeah they all hate her now and i have no idea why uh there's a boy involved and they're like, we don't want Stacy to come and sit because she will only flake on that to be with her boyfriend. And I was like, I missed a lot of drama. Shit. Yeah. <laughs> this is l- yeah, it's late, late stage, stage drama. Yeah. So, yeah, there's, there's all sorts of stuff. The, one of the things I liked, though, was actually they, um, at one point, Janine is called upon yes. to rescue them from a crisis. And she's like, oh, I can do I can do one job, but um, it has to be over by nine because I have a Yes. <laughs> You're like, yes, go Janine. My notes yes. are, get it, girl. <laughs> um, so things have changed. Um, but yeah, so it is some, it is, a, it is a, a long space in time. So can I talk a little bit about the sequence, actually? I, I thought this was really interesting and I looked it up. Mm-hmm. I know I'm interrupting the the running order yeah no go for it go for it <laughs> but, um yeah so I, I i dug around on the wiki so um in, in a shocking turn of events this book was at least partially written by somebody other than anna martin uh which i hadn't realized at, at the start of it um but i was like god why is everybody so irritating <laughs> and like one note and fixated on the stuff that they're so Christy is bossy in the early books, like, but in this one, she's, she's just a maniac. I'm not sure how much of that is just Flanderization versus... It's just what, sorry? Flanderization? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, no, but that's exactly what I'm talking about, right? Everyone is very Flanderized. Marianne is more of a dork. Christy is terrifying. Christy's a little wagon. (laughs) Yes. She's a wagon. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so I looked this up. This book comes uh, between number 86 and number 87 in the series. We're so far. We just did book number 10. Guys. <laughs> we basically time traveled here. Yes. And I think we're seeing a taste of the future and I'm not sure it's a future we want. <laughs> no, <laughs> it is. It's not really. We have to ease into it gradually. Like we, we've thrown ourselves into the depths of the Ghost Rider era with no warning. And yeah, yeah, we all have whiplash. So there's a whole bunch of new characters who are feel like they're loosely based 
on <laughs> other new characters that Adam Martin invented back in the day who were sort of better and more subtly put together. Um, but uh, so this, it turns out, I look, I clicked around a bit in the wiki, which is really good. Um, and I was like, oh my God, this is the last in terms of continuity that I ever read. So this is like, oh. um, at, the, at the time, this is as far as I got, but I definitely read this at the time. Uh, the nearest that I had got to it is from 10 books previously, which was a book called Here Come the Bridesmaids, um, which is super fun. And I'm looking forward to doing that one huh. again. Um, but that was, I think, slightly better written possibly. So um, I was looking at, I was like, when did Anna Martin start using ghostwriters? Um, and I clicked around a bit and I worked out that um, book number 37 appears to be the first one where a ghostwriter is credited. Mm-hmm. Um, but so that was published in 1990. In 1989, Anna Martin published 22 books, all of which she seems to have written herself. Oh my God. Having started off with three in 1986 and it snowballed from there. I do not blame the, poor the woman, woman at all getting yeah. help yeah i think um i think what she did from there is she would write a very basic plot outline mm-hmm. and give it to the ghostwriter and they would basically mm. like flesh the whole thing Fill in so out. she had some input but the actual like day-to-day writing was was done by the ghostwriters okay that sounds legit i remember reading somewhere and i wish i'd saved it because i cannot remember who it was some writer or tv person who was an mm-hmm. intern in a publisher in the early 90s and wrote tons of Claudia's outfits. Like, he's now famous. And he wrote tons of Claudia's outfits. And he would just be going through, like, uh, catalogues and being like, these things don't match, she'll wear those. That's amazing! Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. We have to track this guy down. That is wonderful. That's the best publishing job since it was my job to test pop-up books. <gasps> for a glorious day when i was temping in a publishing house i was given pop-up books to test and make sure that all the pop-ups popped and it was the happiest i've ever been and did they pop yes they were flawless (laughs) that sounds extremely satisfying but i I checked every single one it was wonderful (laughs) okay so yes we're we're in ghost we're in ghost territory oh, yes. in more ways than one. <laughs> yes, so this is Jeanne Bettencourt. I don't know how French you're meant to pronounce it, but um, mm-hmm. yeah, she's she's no Anna Martin. Um, Karen, before we started recording, mem- memorably described this as like off-brand Lidl version Babysitter's Club, and that is exactly what it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was the least part, part of your description. Um, yeah, it is. It's not quite... It's not quite right. Um, but there, there is, yeah, I, I could totally buy that um, Anem did the plots and then somebody else made them actually happen because it does seem, um, yeah, the characterization is one of the things that really doesn't work. We also seem to have sort of lost the, um, the whole thing where Anne is giving babysitting yeah. tips. There's nothing that I could point to in this book that is, and I, I mean, she's, 80 plus books in so maybe she just run out maybe the format has changed <laughs> i can't i can't fully say here but it's sort of like everything hangs together slightly better in the earlier books um yes for sure. uh, but yes we we do have a reasonably juicy mystery yeah oh yeah we do uh and some 
entertaining if slightly frantic hijinks going on back in Stony Brook where I was about to say a really annoying b-plot that I was just like <laughs> I don't want to read about people fucking things up a lot yes it was boring yet really stressful stressful exactly boring yet stressful yeah I was not a fan of the b-plot here at no all. no yep um I'm, I would I would agree with that it was stressful to read yeah um at least some stuff was happening, but <laughs> but I didn't want any of it to be happening. <laughs> yeah, these are these are all the kind of chapters that I skipped due to the stress. Yeah, I mean, I read them real fast, real fast. Don't know what happened exactly. Didn't want it. <laughs> Got the gist. It's fine. So yeah, should we do plot summary? Yeah, let's let's summarize the cool. plot as, as best we can. Yeah. All right. So yes, Christy is being a bitch and telling everyone that they have to work to the max. Then. So Christy, uh, you know, Christy's little stepsister, Karen, her mother Mm -hmm. is remarried to this guy called Seth. And Lisa and Seth initially say Mm -hmm. that they need somebody to mind Karen and Andrew for two whole weeks. So Claudia agrees to do that. Then Lisa calls back the next day and says, actually, the entire premise of this has changed. Our friends you've never heard of before, the Menderses, have inherited a spooky mansion in New England, and they want to open a health food store in the small town where the mansion is located. So we've decided to go with them. Mm -hmm. So now there's our two kids and their four kids. So we want to bring two babysitters. And like, there's just so much logistics Mm -hmm. because all of the girls have to have like a justifiable reason for wanting to go. So Dawn wants to go because she eats health food and therefore she knows all about opening a health food shop. And like, Mm -hmm. liking tofu is not a personality, Dawn. If they they want to open a health food shop, I'm sure they like health food too. And they probably know about as much about it as you do. Yeah. Um, Marianne wants to go because she's suddenly obsessed with the history of small New England towns. Oh my God, Mary fucking Anne. What the fuck was this? Everything about Marianne in the early books where she was like charmingly dorky and relatable and stuff has just been ditched. And she's just, she's kind of like a, a less ambitious Janine now. She just like will not shut up about whaling towns and stuff. She's in a Janine, but she reads like guidebooks instead yeah. of anything that's actually accurate. Yes. Yeah, she she shows up on the um like in the van going to this holiday. Spoiler, she goes with um <laughs> two library books on the history of Maine and a travel guide. And I have this is Hermione level overthinking Marianne. <laughs> yes. I I actually have written down uh, my note on Marianne reading something else out of the guidebook was, I want to kill her. And <laughs> I own Brewers, Britain and Ireland, the history, culture, folklore and etymology of 7,500 places <laughs> in these islands. A book that is like two Lord of the Rings put together. <laughs> yeah. And I read that for fun. <laughs> for like, we're all very into history. Like Karen basically works in history these days. <laughs> Aoife. You and I have never taken a six-hour-long car journey in which you have given me the highlights of the <laughs> history of Ireland. So that is why we are friends, and why Marianne is not our friend is at risk of being put out of the side of the road <laughs> and hitchhiking back. Marianne is not invited on our road trips. No. Yeah, there is some kind of hilarious subtext to her description of everyone's like waning interest and pretense and listening to her and eventually even she realizes no one's listening to her and like i do kind of want to hear seth and lisa's inner monologue where they are fantasizing about just <laughs> leaving her by the side of the road lisa tells her very very politely that she should like stf you and mariana's like yes oh my god everyone is so bored yeah like I, oh that that is 
that's <laughs> oh I, I i actually feel like happy that i did some embarrassing things in my teens but never that yes <laughs> yeah. not that person yeah um we have that going for us we should return to the fact at some point that this is an old whaling town in maine but yeah so hang on we were we were listing people's uh Reasons for going. Yeah, reasons for going. Reasons for going. Yeah, Marianne's a giant dork. Dawn thinks that she's going to be useful in some way or else she's just irrevocably attracted to the words health food. Yeah, Um, she's a health food consultant now. (laughs) Christy wants to go because the kids are her stepkids and Claudia wants to go because she already said she'd mind Karen and Andrew, so she's got her hooks into this, basically. (laughs) She's not letting go. And of all of those, Claudia and Christy have the most valid claims. I think... Basically, Christy has been making them work so hard that they're all like, God, I just want to get out of this town. <laughs> that's that's yeah. what's actually happening, I think. Because they've all been so super duper booked up that no one else can do any of this. And then they're suddenly like, no, it's fine. We can go. Yeah, they just decide to ditch everything. Mallory and Jesse can run the entire club by themselves, despite being two small children. <laughs> Spoilers, they can't. <laughs> and then it's conveniently, these rich people decide that Rather than bringing two babysitters and paying them, they're going to bring four babysitters, not pay anyone, and call it an all-expenses-paid trip to Maine, which it's not a holiday if you have to work and also don't get paid for that work. I, I need to talk about this. This, I was like, oh, I'm not I'm not sure about this, Anne M, back when I thought she was the one writing it. Um, so they, they squabble... Um, extensively over who's going to go and each of them shows the absolute worst aspect of their legal personalities um christy rings back and she's like look to be honest we don't we don't have a sitter or or lisa rings her or whatever and she's like i don't we don't know we all want to go and lisa's like oh well i mean that sounds like maybe we should instead of bringing two we should bring all four of you and i was like you can't you, you can't invite four teenagers to somebody's house who has never met them yeah. to stay for two weeks? You are you're also a guest, Lisa. <laughs> what are you doing? This is a violation of the guest maybe, code. Maybe actually, Lisa and the Mendezes had had this chat of, and she was just like, "I will sort out some older kids to come and look after our lot, so we don't have them under our feet. We can concentrate on drinking." And, yeah. and then, okay, and, makes, and then yeah. uh, Mrs. Mendes, whose name I can't remember, was just like, yes, this, thank you, I'll bring the wine. And that's why. So much wine. Okay, yeah, that makes it vaguely excusable. That is the only reason why adding extra minors into this trip could conceivably make it less mm-hmm. stressful. It's like, oh, six kids is such a hassle. Do you know what would be less of a hassle? Ten <laughs> kids. Yeah. <laughs> Including... Like very hormonal older kids who also are, um, they are cranking things up to maximum drama uh, as um, uh, Claudia makes a joke about it being um, a spooky old manor and she's like, ha ha, maybe it's haunted. And I was like, yeah, there, there we go. You're, you're, you could be staying in like a concrete block And you would still find ghosts in it at this point. Oh, well, um, it is called Babysitter's Haunted House. True, but they, they it wasn't advertised as a haunted <laughs> no, holiday. It's true. To them, so. They don't know the title of they the They don't book. know that, yeah. Yes, but if you inherit a mansion, it contractually has to be haunted. I don't no, like I mean, the rules. It's, it's, it's mm. true. And I mean, yeah, like, true. one day maybe I'll inherit a mansion. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't finish that sentence. <laughs> anyway, I have never had a rich relative ever. Carry on. 
anyway, we haven't even reached Maine yet, but um, so they all they all go. They all go. They they they, they hire a van to get them there, and like, oh, it's expenses like this that mean they can't pay us. Okay, whatevs. Yeah, like, fuck that. I, look, mm-hmm. I'm I'm sort of coming to this from look, I LARP. I play tabletop games. Sometimes you just have to accept the kludgy bits that mean the plot happens. Because <laughs> if you don't accept them, then the plot doesn't happen and you don't get to have any fun. That was a kludgy bit. Yeah, okay. I do feel, though, that Anna Martin is more invested in the concept that these girls should be compensated for their labor. Mm-hmm. I like, think so. remember That's when true. they ran an illegal daycare and Christy's mom gave them a thousand dollars to convince them to do it? Like, uh, Anne seems a bit more invested in the, the value of labour. I feel like the ghostwriter in this instance read up to book eight <laughs> because she borrowed a lot of stuff from Boy Crazy Stacy. Yeah. But she did not read book nine, which, as we have established, has all the important ghost shit in it. Yes. <laughs> and none of these incidents are referenced. Yeah. So I think she was like, oh, I've read enough Babysitter's Club books. I'll just, just start writing them. It'll be fine. I don't need to read book nine. Like, no, this is important. This is where all the, the ghost stuff happens. Dawn is a veritable paranormal investigator and you just, you didn't use any of that history. <laughs> I feel betrayed. Yeah. I know. It's so annoying. Like there's there's multiple references to the concept of secret passages and nobody goes, hey, Dawn and Marianne, you have a secret passage in your house. Why don't you talk about that? No. No, that's no. fine. We'll just leave it. It's cool. Like, nah, that's not relevant. <laughs> Oh yeah, so when Marianne and Stacy go on holiday, they don't actually get compensated by the Pikes. Do I thought? I don't think. I think they Do got they? paid. I I'm okay. pretty sure they got paid. Let me double check. Because they like did not have a lot of time to themselves. They were pretty actively mm-hmm. minding the seventy-five million Pike children. <laughs> <laughs> eight, whatever, eight. Let me take a second run at this at this take. So anyway, the girls got paid when they went down. Probably, as far as we recall. <laughs> Great. Now I'll just use whichever one. <laughs> it's a safety. <laughs> That's what Nicole from Nailed It calls it. <laughs> mm, yeah. She'll leave them both in and you know it. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that's fair. They are, in fact, getting paid. Excellent. That's what I thought. Okay, I apologize. Oh, yeah. Well, that, yeah. There were very, there were very large numbers of Pike children. There is actually a much higher babysitter to child ratio in this book, mm-hmm. um, which is good, I suppose. <laughs> and one of the children is older than them, and yet they still end up babysitting him. Yeah, that's a thing. This is the thing, because it's not just babysitting. They, they I, I don't think anyone told them, but they came and mm-hmm. decided <laughs> that their job was not simply to babysit these children, but to make them happy in this town. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Your job is to ensure they don't walk off the pier. Like, yes. Not your that job they are, yeah. Is to stop them eating poison <laughs> and drowning. Like Yeah. I think that this is Christy. So this yes. is Christy. Christy is extra. Just over indexing yeah. on yes. the work. And everybody else might have been slightly more content to like let things hang out on the beach. Yeah. Yeah. So they get to the house. Mr. Menders is incredibly cringe, which the kids pick up on. He makes them sit at the big dining table and go around the table and tell a fact about themselves. Not that he's cringe. They pick up that he's obviously some sort of corporate businessman, which, I mean, same diff, but yeah. yeah. (laughs) Um, So we find that each of the kids that they're minding has exactly one personality trait. 
Lionel is a theatre douchebag. Mm -hmm. Jason is a casual misogynist. Jill is already obsessed with Dawn. And Martha is shy. Yep. That is all the character development any of them is going to get. So. Sinead. Yep. Oh my, and it just, like, I know Lionel is really annoying, but at least he has a slight amount of variety in his annoyingness. Yes. And does a few different things. Jill, I was ready to fucking murder. Mm -hmm. There is never questioned or explained why the second she sees Dawn, she has decided that she just wants to be... I have a theory. Either, either with Dawn or be Dawn or both at once somehow. I'm not sure she knows which it is. I think she just developed a crush on her and it might be the first crush she's ever had. And you don't know what to do with it. It's either that or she wants to kill her and wear her skin. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I mean, that is the other... Dis- <laughs> the thing is, right, it's actually really easy to write about a younger child idolizing an older child and have it be kind of sympathetic and sweet. Yeah. yeah. This is not that. And instead, they just made her seem really single white female And yes, it just, <laughs> it creeps me out so much. My notes literally say single white female. <laughs> it's so creepy. Like she instantly starts yeah. doing her hair like Dawn and dressing like Dawn. And, and it's so fucking boring. When Claudia is doing face painting at one point she asked to be painted as a teenager which did actually make me laugh <laughs> yeah okay that's a very <laughs> kid thing to say yeah but... but yes it's it's boring and it goes nowhere but she's old enough to be self-aware about this like i remember at that age i would have been really self-conscious if i thought someone else was cool about being too obvious about copying them yeah still does not have that problem mm. yeah well yeah some some kids don't they're just they just go for broken ways that i would be like i'm sort of in <laughs> awe of but this this particular no this is is very creepy and also very 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 dull to read yes, because literally really every single scene is like you have established that she's following dawn around take it notes we don't we don't need this yeah. again it just keeps yeah, going it's, really boring. it's just the same like, kind of thing over and over again and it's as i said it's not even presented in a way to make jill seem kind of sweet or sympathetic in any way whatsoever it's mm-hmm. just dull yeah and i was getting i could not believe that dawn hadn't slapped her because <laughs> I, yeah. I i was on the verge of it and i you know no <laughs> she's a fictional character yeah and dawn like is very patient really probably more about as patient as lisa is with marianne's endless <laughs> main facts yes. in the cover yeah. <laughs> oh so yeah the, the kids are pretty tedious bunch but the um the house is i suppose vaguely interesting it is it's comically <laughs> oversized it has like oh yeah it's ridiculous <laughs> yes. four floors eight billion bedrooms an entire forbidden floor and a floor of attics and a widow's walk obviously i'm keeping track of gothic bingo on this um the first thing they spot is the mm-hmm. widow's walk mm-hmm. there's just there's just so many rooms you guys <laughs> oh here's another thing karen brewer is always going on about how um watson's mansion also has a forbidden floor just below the attics and i'm like why she surely this is the kind of thing that karen brewer would bring up yes you know in the book which she, she does not mention no, it in this um we never hear about old ben yeah. brewer at all whereas like in the books we've been reading up to now it's all she ever talks about is old ben brewer and morbid of destiny yeah. Karen has completely been like mm-hmm. degothed in this and is much the poorer for it. Also, she refuses to use contractions when she speaks anymore. I think that that is because the Babysitter's Little Sister books are written for a younger audience, so they don't use contractions mm. in the same way that your baby infant uh, 
English readers didn't use oh contractions. Oh my god. So they and therefore that. in the normal chapters and also in her own they have her speaking in this bizarre stilted yeah, manner yeah, that makes sense. which is really irritating because these books are not aimed at an audience of six-year-olds and they really could have just put contractions in and also six-year-olds can read contractions could you just please yeah they know about apostrophes it's fine mm-hmm. i know and if they don't they can be like what's that mm-hmm. word and, yeah and someone can look at it and say it's can't yeah okay and they'll keep reading. Mm-hmm. It's okay. Kids are resilient, guys. <laughs> but, yes. Um, one of the things I did note about Karen in that intro chapter was like, Karen was all like, oh, to Martha, I'm really great at making friends. You are going to be the most popular girl in this town. I was just like, oh, to be seven with no idea how extra I am. <laughs> yeah, I absolutely love Karen decides she's going to be Martha's like hype man and she's going to bring yeah. her in and, and introduce and her to all the kids. dies inside about the whole thing constantly and is too nice to be like Karen yes. fuck off <laughs> I know that that relationship is quite fun yes and um the chapters that we get from Karen's point of view where she explains how she's helping <laughs> and she's the most unreliable narrator in the world yes quite good and, and she's like why wouldn't they let me go to the, the playground I was really annoyed about this and the babysitter just be like just somebody run interference poor Martha <laughs> she just needs Karen away she needs somebody to <laughs> Yeah. Karen is the worst person in the world to be paired with this poor kid and she has no concept of how unwelcome her help is. Steamrollers over everything Martha thinks. Yeah. yeah. In a really well-meaning way. It's really great. Yeah, yeah Karen, Karen's yeah. like extremely minor C-plot in this is like one of the few things that I fully enjoyed about it. Uh, yes. Yeah. It was, it was, but yes, she, she She's a gem forgets that she also lives in a haunted mansion with a forbidden floor. Mm-hmm. It's the kind of thing you forget. Sure, like, <laughs> yeah. And that, like, in t- even if you count the weird wibbliness of time, it's probably the guts of a year since we last encountered Karen talking about Ben Brewer. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm sure she didn't actually forget about Ben Brewer and all of the intervening books, but, you know, let's be real charitable here, real charitable, and say, look, she's six. She just kind of went on to something else. I don't think that's okay, the case. But, she's so uh, but I'm not here to be charitable. None of us are here to be charitable. No, we're not. That's true. Why would yeah. we? Why am I so nice? I need to stop. Why are you being so patient and understanding? This is bullshit nice. characterization. It is absolutely The, the ghost of old Ben Brewer is Karen's whole deal. It is. That and Morbid of Destiny. And Actually, I can't believe she didn't think it. that the caretakers were witches. I know. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God, the creepy caretakers. Obviously, because when you inherit a mansion, there's contractually obliged to be ghosts, and there's also contractually obliged to be creepy mm-hmm. caretakers. Yeah. So they meet these caretakers, the Coopers, and Mrs. Cooper has no voice because, because gothic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the girls all go to bed, and then in the night, there are creaks and moans and candlelight flickering outside. Everybody goes to sleep uh, mildly unsettled because gothic. Yeah, well, yes, because gothic. And I just want to talk about the gothic stuff. So this is this is obviously 35-year-old me reading this book, but I was getting very strong vibes, first of all, of the painting American gothic, which <laughs> most recently seen in pop culture in the Rocky Horror Picture Show, which frankly did a better job of this, where it's the creepy old caretaker and... Not his wife, it's his actual sister. <laughs> so, But everyone thinks it's his wife, but it's his sister. Except the Rocky Horror, who knew what they're about. Um, and they, that, I feel like that's, that's, feels like a very inappropriate <laughs> and yet kind of inescapable cultural touchstone that is um, <laughs> coming up here. And the other thing is that it's so H.P. Lovecraft. Yes! Um, 
this is like a problematic fave of mine. I acknowledge there are many things that are bad about H.P. Lovecraft, um, but like the shadow over Innsmouth is just so strong. It in really this is, book. and I think we all need to go. Racism is bad. Anyway, let's say this. Racism but is bad. Anyway. When you said something on the group text about H.P. Lovecraft and that, and I remember thinking because I hadn't got too far into it, a little bit beyond this point, and I remember thinking. Oh yeah, that 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 ambi- that gardener of ambiguous morality. He's named Giorgio. Yes. That's yeah. shockingly Italian and foreign, isn't it? Anyway, <laughs> the vaguely ethnic gardener. This book yes. could only have been improved by tentacles, to be honest. If like some sort of unspeakable monster had emerged from an impossible void on the fourth floor, I would have perked right up. It feels like that's going to happen at any minute. Um, yeah. So my notes are like. Is this so? I remembered Widow's Walk when I read H.P. Lovecraft years later, but I didn't remember where I'd learned the term. That's the thing. And I I read the book again. I went, oh, fucking Widow's Walk. That's what this this mansion is straight out of many H.P. Lovecraft stories. And I was like, is this the vibe that Anne M. Martin is going for? The BSC meet Dagon, the fish god. And then I was like, you know what though? What is H.P. Lovecraft's greatest fear? Ethnic diversity. So. The Babysitter's Club would have been terrifying to him. That's true. It's like, you hear that, Howard? We are the scariest thing in this gosh darn picturesque New England town. (laughs) So that that has sort of warmed to, you know? Yeah, yeah. It it improves the book a lot if you think of it as just not too far down the road from Arkham. (laughs) The slightly ethnically diverse Babysitter's Club is coming to town. And there's nothing you can do about it, HP. I mean, it's not even the whole club, so it's like Claudia. Yeah. But, you know. We brought a whole Asian with us. (laughs) (laughs) We're in favour of um, of ethnic diversity. (laughs) Even if we don't represent it. And she flirts with the Italian guy. So, like, I don't think HP Lovecraft would like that at all. Well, that's true. Oh, no. (laughs) Yeah. So that... That just keeps going on in the background to my Okay, mind. that's good to know. Yeah. It, there are a few places where it becomes slightly more re- relevant. <laughs> yes. So the kids all go to the beach and Lionel, because he's a, an insufferable theatre douchebag, decides that the beach sucks because it's not full of theatre celebrities. I think there is a certain point where I uh, literally, uh, my comment on what he said is... Uh, Lionel, you snotty little dipshit. Yeah. <laughs> I will point out, Lionel is 14. He is older than the babysitter's mm-hmm. Yeah. Older. Yeah. What the fuck is that about? They're, so they're not even, like, technically babysitting him, but he goes everywhere with them anyway so that he has somebody to complain at. Yeah, pretty much. No, he's convinced that he's going to have a glowing theatre career if they stay living in Boston, but that if he moves to this small town, he'll be doomed to a life of obscurity. But frankly, I think his insufferable personality will do that for him anyway, wherever he goes. Yeah. Like, at no point is it suggested until actually nearly the end of the book that Lionel might do pitch in and do some of the minding of the younger kids. Oh, no. But I wonder, is, though, is this the, the parents have just completely overruled him as a babysitter <laughs> and have hired a team of younger people to come in and maybe his nose is slightly out of joint about that and... I think that would be more complex characterization than he actually is given. That's more complex characterization than anyone attempted in this book. Yes. And <laughs> I, I really don't think so. I mean, I reckon that they've been like, oh, he's just lucky. Yeah. No. Yeah. Let's let's not ask him to do anything. Yeah. It's yeah. fine. 
Let's just buy him white linen trousers. <laughs> yeah, I laughed a lot at the fact that he owns white linen trousers. <laughs> he said, only conservative family types. No one sophisticated. No one hip. No one cool. Reese's one big fat no place. <laughs> said I, by a, a boy voluntarily wearing white linen trousers. White linen trousers. Like, yeah, just like, <laughs> fuck off. Obviously the authority on what's hip. So yeah, he's also starstruck by Dawn because she's from California and she's seen celebrities in her life. Mm-hmm. So she, she manages somewhat to keep him in line by threatening to cut off his supply of Hollywood gossip if he misbehaves too much. I think some of her friends there are, oh no, I'm really out of wine actually likes to know someone who's a, a producer or something yeah. so she actually has got some mm-hmm. like inside gossip and stuff to tell him she could also tell him whatever bullshit she wanted to just yeah just like everybody in california has links to the movie industry which we never heard about in any of the canon books on the babysitters club yeah no i think she's making this up but actually fair play to her if she is <laughs> no it, it is actually canon later on like she gets oh, a really horribly grim spin-off where she moves back to california and her best friend's dad oh, is a producer or something funny. Weren't they all like issue books? Yes, like, more serious and dark and gritty, or something. Yeah, they're they're they sound horrible to be honest. They're they're very dark and gritty. Um, <laughs> but yes, she does actually know someone in the movie industry. But uh, also, yeah, she could just t- tell Lionel anything because he's extremely ignorant as well as being pretentious. He's ignorant in both sense of the word. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Reading a book of plays on the beach. I noted down. Ugh, um, me too. And I mean. Like, and the whole thing, they're literally on a beach and uh, Jason would like to play with Lionel, but Lionel's too much of a self-absorbed dipshit to play with him. Mm-hmm. And Jason is narky about this because he doesn't want to play with girls. And it's just like, well, this is Nikki Pike. Mm-hmm. Yep. Could you, this is just Nikki Pike, guy. You... Yeah, you just, you borrowed that again. But with less excuse than Nikki has. Yes. And like, there's at least some complexity to what Nikki is going through that gets teased out over the course of many books, which actually Anna Martin is very good at doing. Yes. Um, But this is just like, no, we're going to meet this guy once and he's going to not like girls and they're going to bend over backwards to fucking accommodate Accommodate this. this. Yes. Yes. And then they're thankfully going to leave him behind and never think about him again. Yeah, they, like, go out of the way to find him boys. Yes, rather than go, get the fuck over yourself, you little prat. Uh, Which is what I would have done in that situation. Or talk to his parents and say, can you tell your son to stop being a dick to us because of our gender? Mm -hmm. Um, They just go, oh, we got to find some boys. Can you tell your son that he's going to have to learn to interact with literally 50% of humanity real soon? Yeah. Or they could take the easiest possible option and say, you have a brother Fuck off yeah. and hang out with him and annoy him if you don't want us. <laughs> like, Yeah, he's 14. You don't need us to mind you if you're with him. We're not being paid enough to manage your casual misogyny. Oh, wait, we're not being paid at all. I mean, that's the thing. They're not getting paid. I think they could, like, <laughs> they could go to the parents and say quite a lot of things are not in their <laughs> yeah. description. That's, that's nothing is. I mean, yeah, and it's later when uh, Claudia's like, Jason, could you help me with this, please? And he's like, I guess I'll lift the heavy things for you. Like, yeah. You're eight. You are a lot smaller. <laughs> Where, but like, but even in later, uh, later on, um, at some stage, Lionel makes some hysterical females remark, and at that stage, I was just so uh-huh. ground down by all the Jason stuff that I like my note is caps lock and just says, "Stop mm-hmm. presenting this shit as normal for any even slightly unpleasant mm-hmm. boy child, please." Yes, 
yeah, there's plenty of types of brattiness that don't involve this yeah. shit. Like, yeah, should we get into this now? I think we're already into this now. I think we're already into this. <laughs> we we had a lot of angry group texting over the week about this because I snapped and <laughs> I was not able to keep it all in until a recording session. Um, this is not the first time we've been presented with a boy like this who just, uh-huh. he hates girls and that's just a personality quirk he has. Like in the first book, Claudia had to deal with a kid like this and then there's the whole Nicky Pike thing. And then there's this. And every single time the girls are just expected to work around that. Yeah, It's not mm-hmm. something that his parents should be told about and worked on. The parents are just like, oh yeah, he's a misogynist lol. Well, enjoy your afternoon with yeah. a horrible son. Um, it's... Like, it's such a hostile work environment, and the girls don't even seem to see anything wrong with that. Even Don, who's, like, the reliable social justice one. It's not even that, it's not that, like, oh, the parents don't do them, but it's, like, the text does not think there is anything wrong with this. Yes. Like, Mm -hmm. this is presented to us, oh, well, you know that phase that all boys go through where they violently hate girls? Yeah. And show no respect to female authority figures. And you don't have to question that or anything. That is just accepted and that doesn't get punished or, or remarked upon in any way. That thing. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. happening all the time in these books. Yeah. I didn't... Yeah. That does... It really... It's over-exaggerated. So, because I do recall lads in my area... When I was growing up, I was in, there was much fewer girls to play with than boys. There was very... For some reason, there were just loads of boys around. Um, and there would occasionally be gender-based warfare but it would be mm-hmm. kind of nominal like you know yeah. we have a thing <laughs> like we're, we have to we have to take sides over something like that and it, I, like I remember there being phases of guys going through like no I want to hang out with other boys but it didn't equate to like all women are terrible and should be set on fire yeah you know <laughs> like <laughs> I think it's I think the thing is not just I don't really want to play with the girls because I mean there was that I mean young kids tend to at a certain age separate themselves out by gender mm-hmm. um and, and okay fine yeah but it's it, it, it that would be okay I would kind of be like all right I get it. he's like oh I'm gonna play with the girls they're doing things I'm not interested in because they are doing the things that are stereotypical yeah. girl things or whatever yeah yeah it's not like Jason doesn't want to sit near them on the beach because there's so many of them and he wanted boy babysitters mm-hmm. um and says to their face like how come some of you aren't guys yeah uh, because because childcare is undervalued in society and the boys are all off on mm. paying jobs yeah that's true actually yeah but it's it's like that it's that kind of it's not that it is literally that it's not just hey my immediate companions to hang out with and, and spend time with and play with I would prefer if they were boys it's literally I'm not going to respect this authority figure because when you're when you're eight a thirteen year old babysitter is an authority figure yeah they're basically an adult I am going to be disrespectful to this authority mm-hmm. figure because they're mm-hmm. female yeah fuck no and yeah in really ways ways that are ex- like. As boring as Jill idolizing Don. Yeah, what are the parents doing? What the fuck is going on in this family? (laughs) How much alfalfa sprout research do they really have to do? (laughs) What I think they're like, listen, guys, whatever, you know, Boston is not working for our kids. They all have some form of sociopathy going on. We need to get them out of this environment. There's a line early on when they're talking about, I know one of the babies just, I can't tell who's who in this book, but doesn't fucking matter. I know, right. is talking about this family and like, well, they have two jobs, four kids and a life in the city. And all I can think of is this summer on Hallmark. (laughs) And it's like, that's what they're doing. (laughs) I don't think, 
the previous books that we've done have had so many clear pop cultural like yeah, stereotypes yeah. they're drawing on. This is very tropey, but the, the ceaseless misogyny really kind of wore me down and I was actually kind of upset by the end of this. It was like, I feel mm. unfairly judged by these fictional small children from 20 years ago. <laughs> and it's just kind of horrible to be reading about, oh, this person hates you and everything you stand for lol mm. and no one's really ever going to challenge that and like it's horrible to read as an adult woman it's mm. probably pretty horrible to read as a kid as well it's like the people are just gonna write you off and you just have to like work around that and nothing's ever going to change i think when i if i had read this when i was a kid i wouldn't have even picked up on that mm. i would have just been like oh this is how it is then yeah i wouldn't have even known it was a problem yeah i don't think i picked up on it at all I think I was like, this guy is an asshole, but I, or the, the uh, much politer equivalent. <laughs> yes, this guy is a poopy head. Karen Brewer actually says, um, Jason can be really dumb about stuff. And I was like, I wonder if Anna Martin wrote the Karen <laughs> chapters or if this is just me projecting the bit that I like onto the author that I think is better. Um, but yeah, he sure can. Yes. He sure can be dumb about stuff. Um, yeah, another thing I just want to f- raise here is that... Um, Weirdly, that book number 37, the first one that is um, acknowledged as ghostwritten, mm-hmm. is called Dawn and the Older Boy. Yes. Um, and I think I avoided that growing up because I was like, that doesn't sound like much. That sounds like embarrassing stuff that I don't want to read about. They do yeah. actually reference that in this. Yeah, I know, right? That is So it's also ghostwritten. And in this book, surprise, surprise, we oh, have Jesus. a much older boy. Um, and not in the way that, so, um, Boy Crazy Stacy has her pursuing a guy who is act- not really encouraging her. He's just kind of like, oh, hey, thank you. Yeah. He's using her for snacks. Yeah, he's like, all right, she keeps bringing me sodas. Fair yeah. He's using her for snacks, but no, like, the cops are not going to get called at any point yes. in that particular narrative. Whereas these are like, why are you ghostwriters obsessed with older blokes, like, deciding they're into the 13-year-old babysitters? Yeah. Teen years oh i think one of my messages to the group text was just like uh i highlighted giorgio saying i don't make a big deal about age <laughs> i mean this is when he's 18 and he thinks claudia is 16 he is randomly assumed she is 16 is he 19 okay i think so is it established at least i am very convinced he's 19 i'm very certain of this but i have no memory of how i learned it so i could be wrong i'm pretty sure he's 19 and i think I, yeah like I don't remember seeing it. Even so, she's 13. Think about Claudia in the TV show, in the Netflix show. You would not mistake her for no. ed- a college no, age definitely. person. You wouldn't mistake any of them for college age. At all. No. So yeah, even if she's taller or whatever, it's... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's adorable. Um, yeah, Giorgio Trono is the gardener, yeah. maybe? Um, uh, but he's also a college student... Um, the so presumably he's only part-time, part-time gardener. It's I the don't, summer, I'm I don't assuming. Really he's literally just a menacing man who just be on the grounds and does some manner of labour. Wearing a black t-shirt and a black jeans and a black leather <laughs> jacket so you can tell he's a bad boy. Yeah. I would have run a fucking mile from somebody giving off that kind of energy when I was 13. That was just not what I was into. I know. <laughs> and the weird thing is, it keeps saying how Claudia feels uncomfortable around him. Yeah. And I'm like, Claudia... Act on those instincts. Part of me wonders, was that, 
like the writer trying to subtly indicate that she had a crush, but be all subtexty about it. Because <laughs> that's a really bad way to do that. Yeah, it just... Yeah, I... Like, maybe it hasn't aged well, like, in an era in which we are way more conscious of, like, young women being preyed upon, or maybe it should have been fucking obvious then, too, and it's just red flaggy all over the place. I I would love to get the perspective of someone from 1995 on this. I was 13 in 1995. I was literally 13 in 1995. No, I was 12, but, you know, close enough. (laughs) (laughs) So, so literally 13, okay. I was an age. <laughs> I was wrong about maths because I'm bad at maths and slightly drunk. But I was 12 and 95, 13 and 96. I remember girls my age going on about the older boys they had crushes on who were maybe 17 working in, it was some guy who was working in the local pub. Mm-hmm. Um, and they used to go and stand outside the, the door of the pub and, and like probably just giggle at him. Am I right? <laughs> but none of them would have, they'd have run a mile. Mm-hmm. If he'd actually displayed any kind of interest. Because mm-hmm. they were 13. I think that Judy Bloom would have handled this very differently. Mm-hmm. And if there was a guy who was 19 and a like female protagonist who was 13 having a flirtation, it would have not yeah. had no. this kind of vibe to it. It would have been extremely educational and probably kind of gritty. <laughs> I think... I think it's like partly I'm like, is she writing club being uncomfortable? Because let's face it, the, like, the actual narrative of it is Claude lets him think she's 16 because she does think he's good looking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then when he starts trying to kind of get, mm-hmm. you know, talk about being serious and maybe seeing each other again, she's like, oh, makes ex- very uncomfortable that, makes excuses, and then writes him a letter at the end being like, actually, I'm 13. Yeah. <laughs> I like how we don't get a response to that letter. I know. I really want. A scene from his POV where he reads the letter and then like just shrivels up and dies of shame. And he's like, my lawyer has uh, recommended that I not respond yes. to this letter. <laughs> exactly. But I think it's um just really badly written. Like, I mean, there's so little acknowledgement in the course of it. That mm. This is in fact a dangerous course of action. Yes. Not just, or an really unwise, not just. Not socially awkward. I mean, the, the actual, yeah, the actual, like, text of it seems to be, oh, it'll be really embarrassing because you yeah. realize I'm only 13 and I can't actually fly up to meet him by myself. Oh, no, like, I shouldn't do that. Not, he's 19. We, yeah. I am 13. We cannot date. Mm-hmm. I am not in high school yet. He is in university. Yeah. This is the first acknowledgement that people in the universe are having sex as well. Yeah, like, true. because he's invited her away for the weekend. Yeah. I don't think... Claudia ever realizes that that's what he has in mind when he says come and visit me for the weekend but like Mm -hmm. when you're in college that has a specific meaning yeah (laughs) yeah I think this is maybe this is partly the it's the problem of mashing up babysitters club with gothic tropes because Mm -hmm. a dangerous yet fascinating man who you're attracted to despite thinking he might be a murderer uh, which Claudia fully thinks he might be a murderer. Oh, hell yeah. Because he takes her into his tool shed and she's like, oh God, an axe. And he's, But he's just like picking up a picture that's next to the axe. And then she thinks she tripped over a corpse, but it's a bag of compost. And like, she fully thinks he might be a killer, but she's also drawn to him, which, you know, it works if you're going full gothic and everyone's an adult. But in the context of, like, tweens or, or young teens is just mm. bad and <laughs> wrong. 
I could see it really working in a Judy Bloom kind of way, still with the gothic tropes, uh, with a 13-year-old and a 19-year-old. Mm-hmm. Because it is actually a terrible idea, and not for the idea, she, not for the reason she thinks. Like, mm-hmm. that could be so well yes. done, and it just mm. isn't. It just isn't, and it's no. so bad, and I kept being like, you're 13, stop. Yeah. And, yeah, so it's a it's a hilarious B-plot in this book. Sweetheart, who's looking out for you? Yeah, the parents are fucking asleep on the job. They're fucking drunk. <laughs> Uh, even when he turns up like through the French doors with a bouquet of flowers and whatnot, they're like, that's normal. Also, there's kind of weird hints that Georgia might be psychic and reading all of their minds, which go nowhere and he's not psychic. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, we don't know he's not, but yeah. But he's oh, he'd know Cla- probably He not. would know Claudia was 13. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> I was just um, looking at my bottle of wine, which I brought up when, oh my God, guys. <laughs> it's It's a... It's got a cartoon angry gardener with a giant pair of secateurs on it. It's amazing. It's shears, but yes, it's a sinister gardener. Yes. But a much older one. Yeah, he's not that sexy. <laughs> no, he is not a sexy gardener. Uh, Giorgio is kind of red herring. Yeah. He's there to uh, provide an additional suspect. Yeah. Um, and kind of Lionel at one point is also a suspect who is also a he- red herring because he decides to scare the babysitters on their first night in the mansion mm. for no real good reason that I can tell. Just because he's a dickhead. Because he has a love of drama. Yeah, but those two things might have added up to a lot of other stuff, but not this particular thing that they were afraid of. So that's all a bit like... I guess he's aware kind of... that it's a tropey gothic mansion as well, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, he's... He he voluntarily read Bram Stoker's Dracula because it was a play of Dracula on. Like I, I'm guessing he's he, yeah he, yeah, he he's knows. just getting into it. He's just like, hey, look, we're in the spooky mansion, so I'll pretend to be a ghost. So yeah, so over a series of e- evenings and nights in the mansion, a bunch Ooh. of spooky things happen. Many of which turn out to be just Lionel fucking around in yes. the corridor with a candle. But but as you pointed out earlier on today, Esther, stuff happens that they talk about terrifyingly the next day that I just assumed that I hadn't been paying close enough attention when I was reading it. So did I at first. But they all wake up going, oh my God, what happened? There was a, what was that scream in the night about? It was like, there was no mention of a, sc- a scream? What was the scream? What? Yeah, what? several times they reference hearing a terrifying scream in the walls of Don's room, which again would be a perfect time to talk about the secret passage at Don's house. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they don't. Yeah, also cliche putting it in Don's room. Yes. In Marianne's room. Mix things up. Marianne would have a heart attack. And <laughs> That's <die>. a point. <laughs> okay, Christy. Yeah, okay, Christy would be fine. Christy would be standing there with a baseball bat. But, well, Christy at one point does hear it and she's like, that sure was scary and then goes to sleep and then the next day they're like god that blood curdling scream in the night there is no scene with a scream i went through the book i kept doing like searches for different words like scream and wall and whatnot and all it ever turns up is the girls discussing it after the fact there is no scream so this is just i don't know if this got cut for time because they needed more scenes of mallory and jesse failing at admin um Is, or if she just full on forgot to put it in, was like, oh yeah, we should have a scream and then just forgot to write that scene. Like, it's okay to have stuff discussed off stage, like that happens off stage yeah. people talk about, but like, not when it's this important. No, because it comes up repeatedly and it's a B 
big part of why they're convinced the house is haunted, mm -hmm. which is fair enough. And also, it's a big part of how they discover the place isn't haunted if they bother to do their fucking detective homework, which they kind of don't. No, they really don't. They're the worst detectives. And, like, Claudia has built a third of her personality, mm -hmm. the other two-thirds being art and junk food, around loving detective novels. Mm -hmm. And she's so bad at detecting in this. It's so disappointing. Mm -hmm. I know. And, like... Okay, right, so fair enough. In real life, reading detective novels does not make you any good as a detective, yeah. right? This is true. Mm -hmm. Because it trains you, in fact, in identifying tropes. Yeah. <laughs> However, yes. I play someone who does forensic investigation in a LARP. <laughs> and let me tell you, reading detective novels and watching detective shows and watching a lot of CSI and stuff, oh boy. Does it train you to solve fictional crimes? <laughs> you are so good at it. So if I were in a gothic novel, a mystery novel, I would be identifying all of the tropes so fast. And Claudia doesn't, despite the fact that she should be yes. prepared for this. Like, come on, Claude. Get with it. You're good at it because the people who are writing the LARPs and the, the like games have read the same books that you have. <laughs> and to be honest, Claude is in the same kind of setup mm -hmm. because um, she's like in a house with a uh, manufactured ghost sorry spoiler warning um uh, that has been manufactured by people who have probably been reading um detective novels probably detective novels but also i think hp lovecraft <laughs> they t they tell a whole bunch of um spooky seaside village related horror stories that um what I, I do quite enjoy the bits where the girls go around and talk to other people in the town who are in the know who were like no that is bullshit <laughs> yes oh yeah in the historical society they're like oh she got that from that awful book by the person who made all the things up yeah no that book's nonsense they find a book that tells like a tragic story of a tragic widow who grieved on the widow's walk for 20 years and was then swept off in a terrible storm mm -hmm. and they're like oh my god it's definitely her ghost and then yes they go to the historical society because all tropey small towns have a historical society where there's an old person who will answer all your mm -hmm. questions and the old lady, as it is, is like, oh, yeah, that book is full of shit. The woman just made everything up. Forget that. <laughs> she's like, yeah, she's not in her bed, guys. This is... No. Yeah. Yeah. It's an incredibly well-stocked archive. <laughs> it sure is. It has architectural plans of the mansion. And the people in charge really know that. Yeah, like, I have been to many archives and... I'd <laughs> <laughs> be like, what? So tell me the secret history of this thing I'm looking up. They're like, I don't know. Read the catalogue. We have, like... 10 billion boxes of shit in here. Like, I haven't read all of it. I'm only working 9 to 5. Go away. I don't think there's an uh, an archive, but I do know that the Historical Society in the little village I grew up in, um, I don't know when and where they meet. They don't have an office, but I do know that one of them runs the museum in the oh. Celtic church with medieval castle attached to it. Ooh. That is like the well, largest cool. building, still the largest building, I think, Maybe the maybe the supermarket's a bit bigger, but you know, still the biggest, tallest thing <laughs> in the entire. It's got one round tower, and the rest of it's all square Norman ones. It's cool. That's um, awesome. And you can go in there. Not on Mondays, it's closed. <laughs> uh, but you can go in there for probably open for like five hours a day, maybe you know. And um, like, and I'm, you can find a member of the historical society in the spooky Ooh. old building and ask them questions about the town. And I bet they'll know some of it. Okay, that's super cool. I love it. I bet they won't have architectural plans of people's houses, though. They 100% fucking won't. You're yes. right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's not that many mansions in Lusk, though. <laughs> there, there, there were a few 
It okay. counted as first-rate dwellings in the 1911 and 1901 census, but not a whole lot, hmm. to be fair. No, you're right. Luskus. Right. Kind of a shithole since the Middle Ages. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I'm not dunking on Lusk. Lusk is great. They have a historical society. Jesus, I'm not going to criticize that. Yeah, our people are from Glenamaddy. It's not like we're very sophisticated. We're no Stacys. <laughs> <laughs> no. There were no first-rate dwellings. No. That there were. But um, actually, that reminds me, complete tangent, but I was in, um, when I was in, 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 in UCD, I had a seminar on Hiberno-English, and we were talking about different slang words. We were talking about the word culture, and we were talking about how it would be used in a derogatory way for people who weren't from Dublin, and then talking about how actually people from, like, towns in the country would use it for people who came from outside of the town. And I just remember one girl saying, oh, yeah, people when I was in school with, they used to call you a culture because you came from outside Mullingar, <laughs> cosmopolitan metropolis. <laughs> and I have never been able to pack enough contempt into those words. I, it, that moment is going to be one of the highlights of my life forever. That's amazing. Oh, man, big fish in a small pond. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. So, yes, they... they... In a delightful bit of like, hey, it's the 90s now. They decide to have a fancy dinner party in the mansion Mm. where they'll all like dress fancy and eat in the dining room off the good china. And they have uh, fancy bite-sized pizzas, Mm. um, which I just love because like, yeah, I remember in 1995 when that was actually the height of sophistication. I wish they sold bagel bites in this country still. <laughs> I wish that so much. I know. I would eat a whole pack. I was going through, I grew like a foot in a year, okay? I, mostly that was fueled by bagel bites. <laughs> bagel bites, the breakfast, lunch, and dinner of champions. <laughs> oh no, just like snacks. I also ate meals. I grew a foot in a year. That's impressive. I, I did the, you know, the stereotypical teenage boy thing where they will just look at the fridge and it will empty itself into their stomach and then they'll be hungry in an hour. Yep. I did that as a teenage girl <laughs> for like a year or two. Oh um, yeah, I did too, but I didn't get any taller. <laughs> I did. Well, I was really, like, you know the way now I'm kind of short? Mm-hmm. When, uh, before I hit that growth spurt, I was really short. Uh, like people would think I was comfortably think I was three years younger than I was. Oh. Yeah. It was teeny. <laughs> oh. Yeah. You were a teeny. <laughs> you needed those bagel bites. So at the dinner party, the parents decide, this is a terrible idea, by the way, in front of all the babysitters and mm. Karen Brewer's mom and stepdad, they ask their kids, how do they feel about moving to this town? Which like, that is that is just a basic parenting fail. You don't want to have this conversation in front of a bunch of strangers. So all the kids are miserable. Uh, Lionel hates it because it's not LA. Mm-hmm. Um, the other kids hate it because they of their established personality traits. Mm-hmm. Um, Jill just wants to move to Stony Brook and live next door to Dawn because mm-hmm. yes. <laughs> she's terrifying. So Christy decides this is the babysitters club's problem and that they're not just here to babysit; they are here to make the kids want to move to the mm-hmm. town. Mm-hmm. So consider the stakes raised. I guess that makes sense mm-hmm. for Christy. But a better ending for it would be somebody like Christy realizing that actually this family's <laughs> random problem is not something that she can or should attempt to solve. Yes, <laughs> it's it's almost like they had whole books about that in the past. Mm-hmm. About how like, you can't fix someone else's family. Yeah. I mean, I'm okay with Christy deciding to bite off more than she can chew. Mm-hmm. 
and everyone else is going to bite it off as well. <laughs> yeah, it's not really presented as that. Yeah, it's not. That's the thing. It's like, oh, yeah, this is a reasonable yeah. thing to expect uh, for 13-year-old unpaid child minors mm-hmm. to do. And again, one of these children is older than them. Yes, yeah, exactly. It's not even a reasonable thing to expect an adult fucking psychologist to do. No. Like, stop it. The parents haven't done that. The parents are off having G&Ts in the backyard while the kids are being minded by someone else. My theory is that those parents are just wankered the entire <laughs> fucking visit. That's it. It would make more sense yep. because like health food is just not that interesting. So there has to be something else going on. So they're like, oh, we're going to go conduct market research and see how many people walk around the town and it'll run a rainy weekend. Um, And they're gone to a bar. They're in the bar. 100%. Yes. They are drinking. That's what they're doing. So his idea is that I can't remember they decide to go no it's Christy of course it's Christy (laughs) they decide to go up into the attic and do an inventory of all the stuff up there because this will be helpful to the Menderses in deciding figuring out what they've inherited which is the most hilarious Mm -hmm. naked excuse for prying I have ever seen (laughs) like they just want to go up there and have a nose they're snooping Um, can you imagine your horror if you had these four teenagers you do not know staying with you and they go we went through all your stuff and catalogued it for you now please be grateful (laughs) (laughs) to be honest i'd be okay with that because it's not my stuff i've never used it before it's been used by strangers yeah it's just a whole bunch of stuff that was up there it's legally their stuff though yeah but you know it's not the same privacy invasion as it would be if they had owned and used the stuff what i was like well i would be outraged about if i were the the mendezes that they never mentioned that the random creepy gardener has a full set of keys to the entire fucking house. <laughs> yes. Well, or they're completely acclimatized to the notion that you have help and the help just has access to everything <laughs> and you're too drunk to care about it and you just assume yeah. that that's okay and that there are no murderers. <laughs> like, I don't know if they even know there's a gardener. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the thing is his role is very nebulous. Is he getting paid? He, he sleeps in the shed, the murder shed. Like, who signed off on this? The guy who they inherited the house from who is dead like you need you need to tie up these loose ends menders yeah there's a lot of admin that is just being neglected so the girls decide they want to catalog the upstairs for tenuous they reasons they want to nose through the upstairs mm-hmm. yeah again on our gothic bingo card mm-hmm. this is the forbidden floor nobody ever goes to the fourth mm-hmm. floor because that's where mrs de winter's dresses are or whatever <laughs> So they ask the Menderses for the key and they're like, oh, we don't have a key to the fourth floor, which if nothing else, that's a fire hazard. You should have access to all parts of the property. Yeah, but the gardener shouldn't have access that the people who own the fucking place don't. Yes, they mentioned to Giorgio that they're having trouble getting in and he's like, oh, well, here's my key. I don't really want you to use it, but you can have it anyway. So he tells them that the fourth floor is probably super dangerous, but Mm -hmm. go up if they must. So they go up. They find a hilariously tropey a stash of just creepy gothic shit up there <laughs> like old vintage dolls and toys old timey dresses old timey photos multiple dressmakers dummies which gives me the bad feeling i just i don't <laughs> like the attic <laughs> part of me is like it gets, you know, I, I love the attic so i'm like okay dressmaker dummies mm-hmm. yeah it might give you the bad feeling but on the other hand do you know what those sell for not enough <laughs> there's a male and a female form 
and they're vintage you'll get loads for them on, es- on Etsy and if you separate them they will seek vengeance <laughs> you have to sell them together they must never be parted as a pair <laughs> it will sell for more on Etsy for that yeah you could do a haunted dolls of eBay thing with them but like sorted I, it's not worth it because there's definitely some like doomed lovers entombed <laughs> in those dummies and it's just can I just clarify that um this flight of fantasy that Esther has come up with is way better than anything that is in the actual yeah. book and she's just made so it I up. would also like to point out that I really love going through old stuff in addicts and Esther plainly doesn't yeah. so mm-hmm. you know I'm a bit biased it's just that when you've got two dressmakers dummies an antique baby carriage two sleds which is also kind of creepy trunks of baby clothes hundreds of ma- okay hundreds of old magazines is fine i could get down with that mm-hmm. uh photo albums trunks of children's toys two rocking chairs what the fuck is creepier than rocking chairs in an attic nothing because they can start rocking by themselves any moment we all know that's the that's yeah that- yeah exactly and then the dressmakers dummies sit in the rocking chairs and rock in the exactly the only thing it's missing is a rocking horse for oh, like that's yeah, true. full uh, this is it's the setting of a horror movie all we have is a toy boat yeah it's true the sled thing i think is the other i think so famous cultural yeah. item that they're ripping off um because there's this whole thing about oh there's a treasure in the attic but they don't actually mm-hmm. really go into it very much oh my god i did not go to hybrid reference this was the dying words of what's his name who had lived there and died the guy who just died and left it to them was there's a treasure in the attic and so they they sort of half-heartedly look for treasure and don't find oh it my god but then andrew who has uh, been obsessed with boats not that that's a thing that he did in any other book. And frogs. Boats and frogs. <laughs> boats and frogs. But it's actually on, you know, it's on brand for a four-year-old, so that's okay. Um, yeah, I like that. I'm okay with that. He's found an antique toy boat, which he really loves, and the menders, I think, say that he can keep it. Yeah. So they find out at the very end of the book that the toy boat is called Treasure. Oh. So that is the treasure that's in the attic, and this to my mind, is a Citizen Kane reference. Totally, you're totally right. Oh yeah, 100% Citizen Kane. 100%. Yeah. But it's not even like a wry kind of, aha, uh-huh, people recognise this, it's just borrowing. Yeah. Like, yeah, none of the 10-year-olds reading this book are getting that. <laughs> no. Yeah, it's it's pretty Cassandra Clare, I'm gonna, like... I probably sense. would have got it because I had read, I'd never, I still don't think I've ever seen Citizen Kane. But I definitely had read somewhere in a book explaining or referencing something else mm-hmm. about the whole Rosebud thing. I was that kind of 10-year-old. I only know it from The Simpsons. Mm-hmm. I tried to watch Sid and Kane and instantly fell asleep. But I have obviously watched the Rosebud episode of The Simpsons like a gazillion times. So. Oh, it might have been actually a, the Sim- a guide to The Simpsons that was written at some stage in the mid-90s. All right, so we will give a slight markup to this book for having a highbrow cultural reference that will completely have been lost on the target audience. Whatever. The attic is creepy, is my <laughs> point. The attic is horrifying. My thing in the attic was, Claudia looks at a photo and goes, oh, that reminds me of someone. <laughs> an, old, an old photograph. Oh, that person reminds me of someone and they don't, never speak of it again. Actually, speaking No, they do of, speak of it again. They do. They, they work it out. There's the two things. Oh, that, that I was okay with. They did it okay. They eventually worked out who it reminded her of and it was satisfying. Mm-hmm. I think they messed up on what they did with the the the, uh, the lady who had been into the historical society and had had a strong accent, mm-hmm. right? So here's where they fucked that up. I was annoyed. Hang on, we should explain what that is. Um, I'm that, unsure if you want to. I mean, the helpful old lady in the historical society said, oh yes, some other lady was in asking about the same mansion and she had a strong European accent. And is then unhelpfully 
non-specific beyond that because that's a lot of different accents. I'm Polish, Spanish, <laughs> Italian, <laughs> Greek, German. <Yorkshire>. Sure. <laughs> Come on now, <laughs> Maddy. Cork. Was it was I would have been sat there. Did she sound like this and do an accent? Okay, but did she say I am Lionel? Did she sound like this though? I mean, that is what they do at the end. They get Lionel to run through his stock of accents until they can match it, which is bullshit. But here's the thing, right? So at some stage after this, it probably spoils what's later. They're hiding in the dumb waiter, and they hear the housekeeper speak. Dawn does. Yeah. And I was like, she can talk. Oh, they're baddies. Okay, and that's fine. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I actually had a note in that going, mm, no mention of an accent, though. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it must have been her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She would have mentioned an accent, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And then several chapters later, Dawn's like, oh, actually, she had an accent. <laughs> I was like, you would say that. You would say it. You would say it. And eventually, I was angry. And um, then Lionel runs through all of his accents and does Scottish and... They get him to say, that's actually quite clever. They get him to say the thing she said yeah. in all of the accents and the line. Mm. was just like, this is my party piece, okay. However, Claudia previously said that she couldn't tell the difference between his Scottish accent and his Australian accent. I thought that that was Dawn. I thought that was foreshadowing for um, Dawn oh, being maybe. bad at recognising accents, which is not a, th- not a thing I've ever heard of before. Mm. But I was like, okay, yeah, whatever. It's just like, for some reason, Dawn is accent <laughs> blind and has no idea where the fuck you come from. I, I speak to people in other countries on the phone for work because I do tech support to members of the general public. Mm-hmm. And at one stage, I got a call from somewhere in the US. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the time I get, oh, your accent is so cute. I love your accent. Are you from Ireland? And I'm like, yes. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, my great grandmother is from blah. And I'm like, oh, we're probably cousins. Let's fix your own. <laughs> and uh, that's fine. I, I don't mind it. And then, um, but this lady was like, oh, I love your accent. It's so lovely. And oh, you're from such a beautiful part of the world. I love Australia. <laughs> and I just went, yes, Australia is so nice. Let's fix your item. Because <laughs> I can't. I cannot explain this. I don't want to. It will derail this. No, and it would take a very long time. You will feel embarrassed. I'll feel bad about it. Let's just pretend I'm Australian and move yeah. on. So there you go. People are so... By the way, our accents are all Irish. None of us are Australian. <laughs> yeah, I'm actually not great at acts either doing them or recognizing them when i have um not got like visual cues in front of me as i in a, the most humiliating fashion um learned when i was in um college at one point and uh said to a pair of my friends who i'd met up with during the day i was like oh yeah i heard i overheard somebody talking about that thing you were talking about earlier on on the bus on the way in there was two american girls talking and they're like no, that was us. <laughs> I went, oh shit. So yeah, this is um, this is Moira, who is French and Irish, and Zoe, who is Portuguese and English. <laughs> Neither of them is American. In your defense, they both have weird, weirdly American-sounding accents, though. They have. They were two very close friends of mine who I did not recognize their voices because they were sitting behind me on the bus. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a bit weird. That's inexcusable, <laughs> but I can see... Why a sleep-deprived, tired person who had not had their morning caffeinated beverage might have heard each of their accents and thought, "Merkin." Let's just say it was that because they do that middle-class Irish mid-Atlantic thing, lean slightly towards it thing mm-hmm. a little bit. 
Well, yeah, Zoe for sure doesn't have an Irish accent, but like, but yeah. you had known Moira in particular for many years at that point. Way too many years to be mistaken. Yeah. <laughs> so that happened, um, and every six months or so, one of them will remind me. Of it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think I would have forgiven Dawn that whole thing had there been something in that scene about how she's she's locked in the dumb waiter and she can hear a woman talking but it's a bit mm. indistinct yeah. that would make perfect sense to me and it would like that it took her a little while of listening to somebody else doing accents before she could work out what yes. the, what the precise accent was that would make total sense we didn't have to be like oh yeah no she has no idea what she's fucking doing yes like all I had to do was throw in like one line about this. So yes, at the convenient historical society, they find convenient architectural plans that reveal the house has a dumb waiter in it. I spoiled that for you. Sorry. No, that's all right. Uh, <laughs> this this book honestly doesn't deserve a spoiler taboo. Um, no. I feel like you have to earn that a little bit. We're, we're not giving it one. No, in case you hadn't noticed. And like, you're not going to listen to this if you're really no. concerned about. Go and read the book now, because we're about to tell you what the denouement is. So just, just go do it. Don't, just don't. Or read don't the book. The book. <laughs> yeah. So they go investigate the dumb waiter. Don gets in. Oh yes, they find a tape recorder in the dumb waiter. Look at it and say, "Hmm, I bet if you listen to that tape, it would turn out to be a recording of a woman screaming." And that's why we heard the screams in the wall. They then proceed to not listen to the tape to verify this hypothesis. They just leave it in the dumbwaiter and it's never spoken of again. Mm. And this, for my money, is the thing that made me the most angry about the slipshot plotting. It's fair. Because mm-hmm. it's, it's fair. so lazy. I just, I can't stand how lazy it is. It's so lazy, guys. Why wouldn't you? Like, yeah, so they... There is a an incident that happens immediately afterwards where they get caught investigating the dumbwaiter by the creepy caretakers and Dawn, who has gone into the dumbwaiter shaft to pick up the dropped tape recorder, gets locked in there, which is really the only actually scary yeah. part yes. in the book. Which I was like, oh god, no, this is this is actually oh freaky yeah. to read about. This is the scene that has the mild peril. Yeah, she she realizes at this moment that she actually has claustrophobia, which you think she might have noticed all those times she was in a hidden in passage in her house. Freaking secret passage! <laughs> Jeanne Betancourt, we know you did not yes. read that book. And we're just, we're very disappointed in you. Yes. <laughs> I actually think that it's not so much that she had claustrophobia at all as that there were potential, like, murderer baddies outside. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't have claustrophobia, but I would have been having some sort of serious panic reaction in her circumstances. Well, I guess. But she blames it on being in the dumbwaiter shaft, and she has a documented history of poking around in crawl spaces. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So then they don't they uh, rescue her from the dumbwaiter shaft. Christy comes up with a good plan to um, distract the caretakers by insisting on giving them like <laughs> yeah. yes. tea or something outside. Like, no, no, you've been working so hard. Literally, get out the yes. fucking door. We need you out of this kitchen. I'm gonna make you some tea. Leave the room. You're gonna drink tea on the veranda, and you're gonna like it. It's the equivalent of when you're trying to get off the phone, and you say, "I'll let you go. <laughs> yes. I'll let you get out, out." Did they say out? Uh, and they rescued Dawn. At which point they f- completely failed to take the tape recorder with them. Yeah. And they never come back for it. And just never mention it again. They just decide it probably had screams on it. So that's that. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. That strikes me as the later on the writer was like, Oh crap the screams, oh crap the tape recorder. I put in a line going, I bet that tape recorder had screams on and then went, That's my job done here. Yep. <laughs> and so how do you get a nineteen ninety five era tape recorder to play a scream at random intervals <laughs> that's an excellent question what you do is you place it in the dumb waiter you have a tape that is you know is super long i don't know how long audio tapes could be with a scream at like the end of it okay and you press play as you go to bed at like 11 or 12 11 10 or 11 at night and you leave it in the dumb waiter. you put it in the dumb waiter uh you've pressed play you know there's gonna be no sound on the tape or for another hour or whatever and you go to bed okay. and then it plays mm. that is my working. okay i'm really good at inventing reasons why things might be plausible it's <laughs> one of my few skills okay yeah that's a good rationalization i i, I accept that i know that you could get um from think geek which i don't know if it still exists anymore but you could get um a modern version where uh there's one that plays annoying noises at random intervals uh, and it's just a little button and you hide it somewhere. I assume this is for work purposes. This seems like the most yeah. appropriate use where you just put it in the office and it's there to annoy your coworker. But there's also a, a creepy Tron or something along those lines where it, it randomly plays scary noises. <laughs> and I was like, that is so amazing. And I just, there are so many people I would like to buy that for. <laughs> to visit my friends once who lived up the road from me when I was about 12 or 13 and they like were obviously there like their parents worked during the day so like they their parents weren't there but like the house was open and the dogs were out and it was obvious that they were home uh but there was like just some weird sound they weren't there and I'd like rang them or something they knew I was coming just some weird sound coming mm-hmm. from like the, the the playroom and I went in the playroom and the, the like the Windows 95 PC was <laughs> playing something or no was it was the hi-fi next to it and uh, there was some kind of like alien sounds coming from it and i think they maybe left me some kind of a note about there being aliens <laughs> i was just like i i know i like the x-files but this is not convincing i mean it's in your handwriting i mean you're not oh no it was a recorded message on this they had it was the karaoke machine they had that recorded a message saying that they were abducted by aliens and i'm like that's your voices that's not aliens that's it's, adorable i don't have your accent the I, aliens are making us I'm really annoyed i was angry i don't like pranks anyway I remember this one, I was, I was more, this is probably the first prank that ever been played for me, where the, like, this is a really awful prank amusement was higher than the, this is a betrayal and everyone is in on something I'm not in on dismay, uh, was like the minor part of it. So I just walked out in the garden and went, I know you're hiding and I'm going home and left. <laughs> Seems legit. Yeah. I don't know anybody has ever pranked me at all let alone done something so elaborate that's almost flattering like, yeah like they put a lot of work into setting this up <laughs> just not like, a lot of talent it didn't piss me off and i remember it like 15 25 sorry 25 years later so you know yeah pranks are not for me and i'm not for pranks and every mm. april spills on one of those people who puts up on facebook do not fucking prank me i do not like it and i don't have a sense of humor about this and i'm gonna hate you I will be mad about it. Don't mm. prank me. And that's basically my taking it. I don't prank you. You don't prank me. We can all be friends together. Yeah. Like that thing with the alien voices was just like, I was annoyed because I wanted to hang out with my friends. I didn't want to. 
Yeah, like, and they wanted just, to hide yeah, from me, and like it also insulted my intelligence because it was very obviously them speaking <laughs> yes. to the damn microphone. Come on, lads! It's the thing is like when you're a kid. Pulling yeah. off a prank is way harder than you think it's going to be. Like, the actual mm-hmm. detailed specifics of how to prank someone are generally really, really beyond you. <laughs> and you don't realize Enid it. Blyton yes. <laughs> yes, Enid Blyton um, would, would have you believe that basically a roll of black cotton thread would, like, facilitate any and all pranks you could ever want to pull off. And, like, it just does not pan out that way in real life. <laughs> all right, so the... They, Claudia, I think, goes with Giorgio because he takes her to visit his grandparents, not once but twice. Oh, God. (laughs) His grandparents were the original caretakers of the mansion when, like, the previous owner uh, owned it. So they know lots and lots of useful historical detail. Uh, Like, Mm -hmm. the ghost stories that they've been told by the Coopers are complete fabrications. Um, Nobody thinks the house is haunted. Um, Mm -hmm. And the Coopers who have said that they grew up in the town did not grow up in the town. And that, so they have found out that the, there's a weird clause in the will where if the Menderses don't decide to live in the mansion full time, it gets inherited by Mr. Menders's cousin instead. And the cousin turns out to have lived in Scotland and have a Scottish wife. Dun, dun, dun. They piece together that the Coopers are actually these cousins and... This uh, is why your woman was pretending so that they wouldn't figure out that she was Scottish and they've been trying to scare everybody so that they won't live in the house and then the cousins will get to inherit it. So the girls go through their stuff and find an incredibly convenient to-do list of evil schemes they were planning to do. Uh, Like small electrical fire in the kids' room, uh, get Giorgio fired for fooling around with a babysitter. So I think fooling around has... We've talked about the ambiguous meanings of the phrase fooling around in these books i think this has taken yeah. on the modern meaning at this point oh my god but it repeatedly gets used in the other meaning as well so like oh yeah we fooled around at the pool and then we went off like i because I, I kept nosing it and kind of wincing. i mean i can kind of cope with it having the two meanings in the same way that as someone mm-hmm. who grew up in dublin in the 1990s, I can still say that I met someone <laughs> if my tongue has not been inside their mouth. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, but you couldn't do that in the mid-90s, though, because people would go, <laughs> yes. uh, they make that noise that Esther just made. Like, <laughs> I don't make the rules. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Sidebar, 90s Irish slang, meat meant snogged. <laughs> Actually, yeah, snogged is not very current anywhere but it does give the people best know it from harry potter so you know yes. it's like <laughs> it's not just kissed it's like tongue action you know i was gonna helpfully say that snogging meant shifting no that's not helpful at all i know that's even more obscure than meeting i was trying to antagonize people but... <laughs> yeah that's a irish teenagers would say to each other bashfully at discos will you meet my friend and thus romance occurred and that's that's where babies come from <laughs> <laughs> so anyway (laughs) i bet american kids don't do this at all they don't have a formalized (laughs) method for exchanging (laughs) saliva with somebody you have literally never met before do not know the name of and will never meet again in any sense the age of 13 i got called frigid at the gale talked because i declined declined. to meet someone i didn't know who the fuck they were describing (laughs) 
And I was like, no. Because, <laughs> like, what if I was ugly? And they were like, but you never met anyone before. Oh, my God, you're frigid. And I was like, I just don't know who the fuck you mean, okay? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, that was a bit of culture shock moving over here and being like, whoa, you guys do what? What? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think they have tongue kissing in Hong Kong too, Karen. They do not have a thing where you have a middleman, a, <laughs> a randomer. And let me just... You'll have to cut a whole load of this out. <laughs> but let me just reiterate that I was like too nervous to actually dance with the guy when he literally asked me to. <laughs> We asked our, like, the people that we wanted to dance with, and there was not a lot of tongue. To be honest, I think there wasn't even the equivalent disco, because there was just, like, a school disco, and I'm not sure you, I I don't know, if people were... How old were you when you came here? Because I've never actually asked you that, and I have wondered for a long time. Oh, uh, we moved in... It was Christmas 1997, and I started school here in February 1998, when my parents finally decided what country they were going to be living in you know <laughs> they were they were kind of vacillating for a while and i was like oh my god we're not moving to australia like it was just so fucking grim that year the weather oh. was like, i was just expecting there would be sun at some point how old were you nice seven like was that first year or i was uh i turned uh 30 no i just turned 13 actually starting yeah so i'm Maybe they're just club age. Okay, so you didn't do Irish in school? No, I didn't. That was the other thing that I was like, I never actually mm-hmm. checked that with Karen. Yeah, no, I have, uh, I have very little Irish, except for what I learn off street signs. Which is useful. <laughs> so. And like, just cultural osmosis Irish. <laughs> Sorry, I really just digress because there were things that I had been meaning to ask Karen for literally years and never have. Sorry, carry on. No, that's fine. We're, we're in a cone of digression right now. It's okay. <laughs> The, the sad thing is you're not going to remember this in the morning and you're going to have to ask me again. I've only had two glasses of wine, I'll have you know. They're large, but... Ah, clever. Yeah, no, I'm just going by the fact that, like, Esther will be editing an episode from a month ago and be like, ha ha, we said this thing, and I'll be like... Oh, I know. <laughs> I do not remember that. I was looking at Esther's, because I didn't actually get around to this, but I was looking at Esther's, like, like talk about what was in that episode that we might want to cut and stuff, and I was like, what is this? I don't know it. <laughs> Oh no, the, I want to shave an adult man had me like in hysterics. I, I kind of want to make merch that says, please can I shave an adult man? That was your quote, Eva. Yes. What? Yes. Why <laughs> did I say that? We were, we were talking about the scene when Christy takes like six boys to the barber shop and the old barber has clearly like seen everything oh, and God, his apprentice yes. is clearly traumatized and like obviously quits right after and you're like yeah and he's clearly just going please can I shave an yes, adult man okay that makes sense he's gonna shave an adult man okay that's fair I will be proud to provide the first merch quote yeah yes. that's going in the red bubble I was gonna say yeah I was about to say yes. hit red bubble right now uh, our three fans will be so happy I know <laughs> some of them are doing related to us I know it's oh, amazing yeah. All okay, right. Where the fuck were we? We're, we were. They okay. So they figure out that the Coopers are the cousins whose names I cannot remember and refuse to look up. <laughs> That's reasonable. Yes, they're not worthy of it. Yeah, the, Mrs. Cooper finds out from the helpful 
history lady that the girls have been asking about local history as well. So she she pieces everything together. So the Coopers are onto them. <gasps> so they're in a panic trying to like wrap up the mystery before the Coopers murder them. <laughs> Giorgio turns out is good actually. He and Claudia go up to the fourth floor and investigate. Well, yes, he's good-ish aside from his whole weird thing. Mm-hmm. Um, they find that the light on the fourth floor which has been going on and off at random intervals and scaring everyone is a lamp on a timer um they find the convenient to-do list of evil schemes mm-hmm. claudia has run off a couple of photocopies of the old-timey photo she found so she draws facial hair on it until it looks like mr cooper <laughs> this is this is from the ned stark school of genetic research like this is, <laughs> i i don't think this will hold up in a court of law not in a court of law but like you know those families where all the siblings are identical or the ones where you just I okay I love going to people's houses and they have all photos on their walls and I just be looking at the photos and be like what age of the people what year was that photo taken therefore how are they related to each other sure and how, where are the facial similarities yeah like, no like the genetics of, of family resemblances are very interesting but I drew on this guy's picture until he looked like another guy mm-hmm. QED okay I mean yeah no it's I mean it, you could see that being in the CSI episode, but still. Mm-hmm. Well, what it does in a practical sense is that it provides the Coopers, uh, it provides them with a whole bunch of stuff to find. Like, it's another indication that, oh, the babysitters are onto them. Yes. Yeah. Um, which, honestly, if the parents who are clearly drunk hadn't brought the babysitters along, clearly the Coopers would have gotten away with it if it wasn't for these oh, yeah. meddling kids. Meddling kids. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, they, so there are a whole, there are ample opportunities for the Coopers yes. to work out that the babysitters know that this is going on. And like, yeah, this is like Jill just taking every single opportunity to reiterate that she wants to be done. Um, and it, it just, yes, there's just too much, there's just too much of it. It should have been edited. Yeah. Somebody, Probably you and M. Look, we're not judging, but we kind of are. Like, you should have taken her in hand and been like, listen, trim it down. It doesn't have to be. That's yeah. not Anne's job. That is literally the editor's job. And the editor didn't do it. Yeah, this is this is definitely the editor should have tightened this up considerably. Oh, yeah. But all they did was cut out the scene with the scream, probably. <laughs> they were churning this shit out to hit a word count and you know it. Yeah. That's true. They had 25 books to get done by the end of the year, I would imagine. With, like, less grace than Dickens penny aligning it, to be honest. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, we finally, we, we get gothic bingo with a thunderstorm and a power cut. Mm-hmm. So the Menderses are... They've gone out of town for... Probably more drinking. Yes. Unconvincing health food research slash buying more cans of booze. Yeah. Sex parties. Sex, Sex parties. parties. You can do that in Stony Brook, though. Maybe that's where they are. Maybe maybe <laughs> just, the menders yes, have gone to Stony Brook. a swinger is That's not, why it took them so Stony long. Stony Brook is the swinging capital of New England, as we all know. <laughs> Seth and Lisa have been telling them about the vibrant social scene back in Stony Brook, and they just had to sample it for themselves. Yeah. Oh my God, I actually believe this. <laughs> it makes <laughs> a, lot se- a lot more sense than like... Yeah, we were going out to look at tofu technologies. No, nobody believes the health food reason. Like, no, nobody at all at this point. They're opening a sex shop, guys. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. It all hangs together now. Yeah. Am I like the pornographer of this group? I think I am. Yeah. <laughs> Someone has to be. I'm the bossy one. You're the horny one. What's Karen? <laughs> 
Hey, I'm the one who mentioned that it was swingers. You just thought they were drunk. I feel like they can unite swinging and drunkenness. True. Although it probably puts you off your game. It's a fine line to walk. Honestly, you probably want to limit your... I mean, I wouldn't want to. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, and like, if there's kink involved, you probably shouldn't be drunk. (laughs) Safe, safe, consensual people. Exactly. (laughs) All right, so whatever they're out of town for... They're stuck out of town to heighten the drama. Massive storm, and they have enough sense not to drive in it. They don't make unnecessary journeys on treacherous roads. (laughs) (laughs) Theresa Mannion would be proud. Shout out to my Irish peeps. (laughs) If Theresa Mannion is listening to this, she'll be like, yep. (laughs) I agree. If Theresa Mannion is listening to this, could you mention us on the news? I think the answer to that is no. I'm not sure I want that to happen. No, I don't want that either. Um, Yeah, so meanwhile, they have a very nervous evening where they are... This is basically all that happens is that they're freaked out thinking that the um, the Coopers are going to murder them and the Coopers are all like, we know you're onto us. And then they don't murder them um, because they are kind of criminals. But they're not murderers. They're not actual literal murderers. The Menders has come back. The girls run out and tell them everything. It's a very anticlimactic like drawing room denouement. They're just like, ah, well, yeah, you've really backed up your case. We believe you. Uh, but it turns out the Coopers have done a runner and left a note saying the house and its ghosts are yours now. Yeah, that implies that there's an actual ghost. And I was like, oh, here's probably the bit where they're like, oh yeah, I didn't do that bit. Did you do that bit? No, that was clearly a real ghost. The tape recorder contained the Slime Lord's greatest hits and no screams at all. (laughs) (laughs) But they don't. Or smash. Yeah, they They don't don't do that. Yeah, they don't check it. Oh, there's a scene where Jill says there's a woman comes into her room and looks at her in the the white dress and she assumes that it's Claudia practicing for the parade. Oh yeah, there's a pointless parade plot that I will not dignify. I've never heard of a parade where random people could just have a float in it. Yeah. Even in Lust, (laughs) you only got to be in the parade (laughs) as a representative of a village organisation such as the Lusk Gardening Society, 1994, flowerpot <laughs> costume on the float. Or, or the Lusk 153rd Cubs, many years, wearing uniform, marching. Or the Lusk Judo can, represent, shouting really loud with like, you know, everywhere we go, oh, so that everyone else yelled after me. Oh my God. Yeah. But like, you had to be part of a group. You can't just be like, I'm going to make a float. What the yeah, there's a procedure. To make up some word count, they found out there was a parade in town for Founders Day. They're going to all dress up in old-timey clothes and make a paper mache float in the parade. They continue ahead with this plan while, as far as they know, trying to dodge a bunch of murderers. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh no, we've got to solve the murder and also make sure our costumes are ready in time. Like, I, I they need to learn about prioritizing. <laughs> Yeah, in this one of these uh, these uh, chapters literally starts in Christie's handwriting with um, a very anxious um, diary entry that ends with "Above all else, we must protect the children." <laughs> Which I just pissed myself laughing at. I'm sorry. It's like I don't care how dramatic this scenario is, Christie. Like. What genre are you in now? <laughs> and that's the problem with this book. Well, it's one of them. What so genre many. are you in? <laughs> is this wholesome babysitting adventures? Or is it gothic horror? Please pick one. They don't mix that well. Yeah. 
They, they really don't. Or at least they would mix really fucking well in the hands of a skilled writer, but that's <laughs> not what's happening here. No. The girls also succeed in their extra self-assigned job of fixing all the kids' emotional states. Lionel, they take Lionel to see a play of Dracula. He schmoozes with the crew members and gets cast in a small local production of Our Town, so he decides that the town is good after all. Jason, Christy browbeats a bunch of local boys into forming a softball team. (laughs) And then Lionel decides to coach it. But because he's into theater now instead of sport, he's only able to do it ironically by mentally role-playing a boy who's really into sport. (laughs) It's like, it turns out Lionel was a software champion like, you know, 18 months ago. Softball champion, not software. Oh my God. (laughs) You're drunk and you're working tech. (laughs) Yeah, uh, softball champion like last year, but now he's just like I. I'm not into that jock stuff anymore. Yeah, so they're like I'm an actor now. Act as a boy who's into jock stuff and run this softball team. Yeah, one of these things will get you more chicks, Lionel. Yeah, <laughs> actually, it's probably the acting. <laughs> yeah, no, it probably is. I would like to say that I would bet the family farm on the fact that Lionel pronounces it actor. Actor, yes. Rather than actor. (laughs) Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Something that's quite hard about this episode is that really we're doing our best to like read into it, but we're also super hostile to this book. So it's like, I know what Lionel is like, but also I hate the way that this whole thing is constructed. The premise of this book, yeah. I mean, the girls do canonically describe him as pretentious, so... Mm, Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's not just us. My main issue with this book is just, like, why are these 13-year-olds doing this? Why are these 13-year-olds expected to, unlike, look after this older asshole boy? And, like, manage him through a life transition. Why the fuck isn't Lionel doing any of this? He could easily have been a pretentious 11-year-old. Yeah. Yeah, why didn't they just make him 12? Even. Almost the same age as them would be much better than older for his shitty attitude. Yes, it would be way more plausible. He doesn't actually... Mm. He's not been told to stay with them. He doesn't have to hang around with them. He just inflicts himself. Yeah. But he was almost the same age and his parents told him that no these girls barely a year older than you are going to be babysitting you that actually is an interesting dynamic and it makes sense and like but no rather than encourage Jill to develop her own identity they teach her to set up a babysitter's club (laughs) I mean to be fair their object with Jill was just to stop her following Dawn constantly that's true so they just teach her to become Dawn so it's fine they just had to triage the Jill situation and to be honest I could not have dealt like managed that if that had happened this again this was above their non-existent pay grade Mm mm-hmm it's just such an extreme version of the younger child worshipping the older child thing. Like, that happens. It's, I'm sorry, the rabbit just jumped two feet across the room in sheer joy at being alive and it was really sweet. Oh, um, <laughs> Sorry. I mean, that happens and it's it's fine and manageable, but the way Jill is is honestly really fucking creepy. And I, yes. I honestly, mm. I just blame it on the parents being alcoholic, negligent monsters and John <laughs> happens to be the person yeah. she... It's... Also, I think, an artifact of the mashup of genres because, like, she's a creepy stalker in a gothic 
tropey mystery book, yeah. which is different than an obsessive kid in a fun babysitting book. Like mm. it's, it primes you to read it as something yeah. really menacing, which it's probably not meant to be. That's true. And then they cure Martha of being shy by making her join a swim team or something. I don't even care. I can't. There's swim, swimming what's involved. Oh my god. Yeah, that's literally it. You've summed it up. They cure being shy, her being shy by getting her to join the swim team. I thought that what that was... I know you don't want to talk about this, but I'm going to talk about it anyway. <laughs> is, is that um, they just got Martha away from <laughs> yes. so that she was able to like come to this town on yeah. her own terms without being like steered around it by Karen who is like thinks she's a Hollywood agent yes that's <laughs> true yeah to get her out there um Karen Brewer yes. she is, is she just is super extra and that would be quite fun for a certain um type person I think extroverts are so much fun to oh, be yeah. around like they're yeah. great I would hang around with Karen Brewer. I would like <laughs> hang around Starstruck yeah. in her wake while things happened around yeah, us because fun. she was there and I got to be <laughs> part of it. I would follow. I have followed Karen Brewer's in my time. It has never been a mistake. Like Karen Brewer says at one point that she loves Christy because Christy is like me. She knows how to make things happen. And like, yeah. yes, that that is. That is that perfectly sums up both of them, yes. and why they get on so well. Mm-hmm. That line very much reminds me. I haven't read a lot of the Little Sister books. I read a couple of them in other people's houses as a kid because I was that sort of child. And um, <laughs> I definitely Karen is very true yeah. to the mm-hmm. Little Sisters books in this. Like whatever, better not mentioning Ben Brewer, but her personality is one hundred percent there. She just she mm-hmm. just gets an idea in her head that this is what she's yeah. doing is the worst, is the least reliable narrator in the world because she's, like, incompetent in seven. Uh, absolutely fails her whiz checks, has no idea what's going on with the other people she's dragging into her plans, no. and storms ahead full steam, and it's a thing of beauty. Yes. And ruins everybody else's, like, carefully laid plots. Yes. Which yeah. is, yeah, adorable. And then is really angry when they tell her, you have to stop doing that. Yeah. <laughs> or apparently arbitrary. Why are you thwarting my creative vision? <laughs> exactly. Basically, Karen and Andrew's chapters are the highlights of these books and everything else can just go and die in a fire. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Karen was the one point of joy in this book. Even Andrew's, Andrew's chapter was really sweet and he wrote his letter like being like, I saw a boat, ribbit. And I'm like, yes, you like frogs yep. and boats and you're four. Perfect. It was cute. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah. Um, so Mar- like Martha sort of believably comes into her own. Yeah, I don't I don't disagree with the dynamic that we're being given here because Karen is already established as this overwhelming personality. Yes. And she really is trying to help Martha in the most unhelpful way possible. Um, and it's only when Karen is finally removed from the equation by holiday purposes that Martha actually manages to get out and meet some other kids who are actually going to be her friends instead of Karen being like, hey, I met some random people in the gift shop and I have introduced you to them. Uh, you weren't there, but now you're going to be friends with them. Yeah, I told the them end. how cool you were. Like, Karen <laughs> Mender, she's the coolest girl in town. It didn't help that you left while I was talking to them, but you know, we can work with this. Uh, <laughs> yeah, this is not us exaggerating. This actually happens. No, this all happens. Um, so <laughs> Yeah, Karen's fucking great. Yeah. Martha gets the least kind of airtime of all the Menders kids, but it's also the most believable, possibly because of that. Yes. Um, That's so... a really believable seven-year-old way to be, mm-hmm. I think. I will say that the book actually 
it could have done with more wacky hijinks. Yeah. Like, yes. we have previously complained in, like, earlier books about, like, there's a chapter that's just Claudia babysitting the marshals or whatever, and the dog goes mad and runs around and knocks people over and steals a school bag. And, like, <laughs> it was fun and entertaining, but had nothing to do with the plot. And we kind of complained about it, but this book really could have done with a couple of those chapters where, like, just fun happens. There's not as enough fun in this. I think that mm. was supposed to be what the absolute nightmare painful read Mallory and Jesse chapters were. Ugh. Uh, oh, God, those are bad. It was just chapter after chapter of them going, we can't babysit as much as five people. How did we not see this coming? <laughs> for for the record, I thought that the 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 episode where um, Chewie stole the school bag was pretty fun. It was pretty it fun. Was actually, Which is why yeah. I described it in great detail. I think. Um, yeah, no, yeah, no. Mallory and Jesse and trying to run the whole baby. And making Logan mad, Logan mad, and I was just like, yeah, oh, I don't care about yeah. any of this. No, it was very uncomfortable to read. I thought Logan actually was being fairly forgiving. So what happened was that they. Um, they took over and the two alternate officers were supposed to step in and help cover all the jobs that the four other babysitters had abandoned to mm. go to HP Lovecraft Town. Um, and they uh, are trying to run the club in their absence and they're doing about like three times their usual babysitting load. And also, who the fuck is Shannon Kilburn? I know that she's the alternate officer, but like... She's a neighbour of Christie's from the posh neighbourhood. Who goes to the private school. She's a high-handed asshole. Yes, yeah. she is, actually. <laughs> yeah. she's, I don't really remember anything about her except, oh my god, she's awful in this book. I don't, definitely don't remember her being yeah. awful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, she she just kind of breezes in for 15 minutes at a time and is like, oh yeah, no, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be doing this. But you guys are doing great. Well done. And then she leaves again. Um, meanwhile, Logan, like, is, he has a job mm, during the summer. And I problem. think he's... I think he's kind of upfront about that. Yeah, he is. He has a he's, job in a Logan cafe. Logan is not the worst. No. Logan is generally the kind of wholesome masculinity. Um, yeah, I suppose this, but yeah, he he is not thrilled at Mallory and Jesse like freak like, repeatedly ringing him up and coming into work and being like, "We have eighteen babysitting jobs and you have to take them all right now." <laughs> there, I was kind of entertained by like at one point they've. They've booked him for a job and forgotten to tell him that they booked him for a job. And it starts mm -hmm. in like an hour and he's still on shift at the cafe. So they have to go down and confess to him. Yeah. And Mallory is, he's like slicing up baguettes or something. And Mallory is so upset that she just grabs a baguette and starts gesturing <laughs> with it. And over the course of the conversation is just mangling just it more and more. Like <laughs> yeah. Mallory, are you, are you going to pay for that? <laughs> yeah. Like by the end, he says she's wringing it between her hands like a handkerchief and they're having to like block the manager so she can't see what Mallory is doing to the restaurant's bread. <laughs> yeah, not, not allowed to have visitors at work at all. Because when they turn up, they destroy the bread. He's agreed to, um, like, to take a double shift. So he's like, no, I can't go to this job. And she's like, ah, you have to take the job. I promise you would take the job and the whole town will fall apart because it's relying on... Yeah. He, there's just a, there's some other event going on and all the parents need babysitters celebrate once. america exclamation mark day which like i'm sorry i don't think the original babysitters club were that into celebrating america but anyway let's move on from that so um yeah lo and logan is like no I've, i have a double shift and somebody called geraldine says oh it's okay i can i can cover your double shift so you can go to that babysitting group and i was like logan and marianne break up at some point don't they <laughs> 
<laughs> Geraldine, you man-sealing bitch. You Who's Geraldine? It? Who's this Geraldine? I'm curious to know more about this Geraldine. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'm reading too much into this. Maybe. I have no idea why they break up, though. That's pretty cool. It's it's probably too much homework or something. I don't know. It's it's innocent. <laughs> too I, many I, parades. Too many parades. I can't keep up with your parades. Yeah, schedule. there was a lot of parades. They get all the kids to go on the parade on wheels, mm. and that's their thing. I, I don't oh my know. god! They they somehow have ended up babysitting literally fifteen kids at fifteen the children. Like basically, the entire under twelve population of Stony Brook. Yeah, they also are eleven. Yes, they are. So there are seventeen children that they are responsible for, including <laughs> themselves. And they also decide that the way to ameliorate this is vehicles. What if all the children had vehicles? <laughs> That way they can be in the parade so they can't get up to anything because everyone is lining the streets looking at them. Yes. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. This episode was sponsored by Ford. (laughs) (laughs) It also means they can disperse faster if they choose to. No, no, no. If you're in a parade, you stay in a parade because you're in a fucking parade, yo. And apparently parades have no standards and you can just be like, hi, I have 15 kids on patriotically decorated bikes. Let us in your parade. Yeah, I know. We should defer to Aoife. She was a flower pot. That's true. Neither of us has that kind of expertise. <laughs> we don't Come have on. parade experience. My photo was in the Fingal Independent, <laughs> I'll have you know. Ooh, celebrity. Can I get your autograph? <laughs> Big time, baby. <laughs> 1994 Lusk flower pot. I think I walked in one of the Rose of Tralee. Um, yeah that's national it it is national I was in this youth concert band which shall remain nameless for until really the term youth was starting to get a little bit overstretched um, and I'd been asking to leave for I think (laughs) since I had joined (laughs) but you have to find another clarinetist to take your place that was basically it yeah it was like um, like a Japanese horror film you have to deceive someone (laughs) hand them your clarinet and once they take it then you can leave (laughs) (laughs) like a reverse dobby exactly Um, but the Rose of Tralee was was kind of fun in a sort of masochistic way (laughs) You'd, you'd, you'd go down and play in random various gigs where we're like oh we've just we're just in the street there's just like a whole bunch of seats set up for us here in this cool i guess the people in tralee are used to this kind of thing and you'd play on like a traffic island or something like that and then we were all told to we had to learn these two songs to play as a marching band in the parade. I don't know if we did or not. Clarinet is not a good instrument for a marching band. <laughs> not unless you've been trained for that. It was like, this is really sore. Um, and they used to put us all sleeping in a giant gym somewhere with like eight other bands. <laughs> all of whom were like playing like midnight football and stuff. Oh, God. So it's really weird. Um, but also sort of fun when you're 15 and <laughs> like don't have much of a social life no i I can see that i can see that being fun at 15 yeah and there was a shop that was like we always wound up in every year um and because of our green uniforms like it was like some sort of touristy shop we're like oh yeah we went in here to buy lunch and immediately like a hundred tourists have stopped us to ask for um like information because they assume that we're staff and we're still not staff and I'm clearly 12 even if I'm wearing a blazer I don't work here well no child would choose to wear a blazer I mean and a cravat cravat it wasn't an ascot but still (laughs) 
<laughs> I feel for Mr. Prezioso. Yeah, we all feel for Mr. Prezioso. We all feel for Mr. Prezioso. Mm. Yeah. Oh my god, Mrs. Prezioso appears in this episode yeah so the thing that i found i think most stressful about the whole mallory and jesse interludes was that they existed they have just they existed but also that they decide they decide off the cuff that um if they don't maintain the club to the standard that christy expects of like eight babysitters by themselves um, that they will have failed TM and nobody will ever come to them for babysitters again. Um, and people keep ringing in and being turned down because there are literally only two of them. Um, and apparently at one point, Mrs. Prezioso is disappointed. Um, she She's like, oh yeah, I need a, I need a sitter. Um, and they say, sorry, we don't have anyone available. Uh, and she's like, oh, I thought the whole point of this club was that sitters were supposed to be available. Yeah, fuck you, Mrs. Prezioso. Yeah, manage your fucking expectations. It's the summer holidays. Where do you think people are? These girls are allowed to go away on holiday. They're, they're allowed to not be free. Mr. Prezioso, why don't you hire someone slightly older and pay the minimum wage, bitch? Yeah, hire a nanny like the posh lady you think you are. Mrs. Prezioso is an old client of theirs. Yeah. Yes. She's not supposed to fucking sell them out like Snotty this. Snotty bitch. Yeah. yeah, no, I think we all knew what Mrs. Prezioso was like. Yeah. <laughs> but but this is sort of I'm I'm kind of annoyed at this and I feel like I don't think they'd have talked to Christy like this. No. No. I think she's talking to Mallory or possibly Jesse. Like Ooh. in a yeah. In a, a really like, dare I say it, Karen kind of way. She's absolutely being a Karen, yes. She is she's absolutely being, and not not a Karen Brewer. No. No. Like, not a good Karen. That's one of the good kinds of Karen. You're the other good kind of Karen. <laughs> oh thank yes. you. <laughs> like, fuck you, Mrs. Prezioso. You can just not ditch your kids and have to bring them to the fair with you, which is what you were trying to do. Yes. Jesus. Her kids were gonna be at the fair anyway. Like, yep. Mind your own children. The- Everyone is their worst self in this book, basically. They really are. They're all caricatures. Stacy is so bad, she's not even in it. Stacy is so bad, she's not even in it. And the only mention of her talks about how she's going to be crap. Yeah, and how she's a bitch now. Whoa, whatever you did, Stace. I really want to read those books. I need to read that drama. Oh yeah, there's a ton of drama. to read it. Because I never saw any of it. Hang around for 70 more episodes. (laughs) i didn't read it firsthand either but i've listened to a lot of other babysitters club podcasts so (laughs) i i do know some of what's coming up but um yeah yeah there's there's a lot of drama but yeah just this 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 is not an anna martin book and it shows no yeah i was i was no admittedly okay so there's a few things going on with this book that are not matching up the books that were read it's not it's ghostwritten Mm-hmm. It's I've already reread for this. It's ghost written. It's a super mystery. I've never even read a normal mystery. Normal mysteries are pretty good. I've quite enjoyed the normal mysteries. I've only ever read like two super specials, so mm-hmm. it's a super mist super special mystery, which is a mm-hmm. weird thing. And it's like a book that I didn't read first as a prepubescent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I don't know which of those is the biggest factor. Maybe all the super mysteries kind of suck because of this weird genre mashup that doesn't work. Mm. Maybe all the books that are ghostwritten kind of suck because the ghostwriters just sort of... I think the ghostwriters vary in quality. Oh, well, yeah, they would. But, yeah. like, you know, do bad fanfic stereotypes of the characters instead of, instead of the characters. 
I mean, maybe all the books that I didn't read when I was 10 are actually kind of going to be crap now that I'm 37 because I didn't read them when I was 10. I, I don't know which of these is the largest force in this book. Yeah. Mm. Making me real mad. I, I'm inclined to blame Jeanne. I'm really yeah, me sorry, too. But <laughs> We're sure um, you're a lovely yeah. person in other regards, but... Quite possibly, Jeanne has done some truly wonderful writing where mm. she's not taking someone else's plot and characters. Yeah, this this just isn't it. Yeah. This just wasn't the book she wanted to write. So yeah, I really liked that Here Come the Bridesmaids ones, which I think was written by the the bloke ghostwriter, uh-huh. who cool. has a pretty good reputation. I would like to read some more of his stuff. Cool, cool. Um... I remember enjoying that a lot and reading it multiple times. I also think it was a less stressful topic than <laughs> some of the yeah. stuff that comes up in this. And I definitely never voluntarily read the um, the kind of, ooh, someone and an older boy. And also I think that my dad was often the one who was just buying me these on his way home from work, stopping off in the bookshop, and he probably didn't go for that. He's probably not going to buy you that. No. Yeah. I I did read Don and the Older Boy, and the Older Boy turned out to be a dick. Yes, I I could tell from just the front cover that the <laughs> Older Boy was a was bad news. Don, yes, get out of it. I'm aware that that's what the the plot of the book is, but I never read it, and I probably would not have gone looking for it. Um, I was not interested in reading of such things. Uh, at that age. Oh, yeah. Okay. So. The Mallory and Jesse plot is no fun, but they do eventually pull it out of the bag. And then, thankfully, everybody in Stony Brook goes on holiday at the same time. Um, and they're off the hook. Yeah. Uh, and Christy doesn't have to murder them for ruining her small business when she gets back. So all of that is fine. Yep. It's Christy's fault, basically. Like, Christy left two 11-year-olds who she was already kind of being a bit snotty about in charge of the club where normally they're two of six regular members. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the alternates. The alternates are, well, um, Shannon is both snotty and not very available. Logan's got a summer job. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she had already acknowledged that this is one of the busiest times. Yes. In chapter one, she was all, we must babysit to the max. Okay, great. Four members are going to leave. The 11-year-olds are in charge now. And it's like, no. No. Like, if they had, as 12-year-olds in the first few books, suddenly had to deal with, like, the amount of jobs that are coming in and feeling like they couldn't refuse any and blah, blah, blah that Val and Jesse do now, they would have mm-hmm. done a little better, because Val and Jesse fall down on the admin, and between Christy and Mary Ann being super organized, they would not have fallen down on the admin. They would not forget to turn on the answering machine. Yeah. And they would not forget to uh, tell Logan he had a babysitting job. But, like, I really can't blame Jesse and Mal for fucking up too much. They No. That's on Christy. Yeah. They're 11. They just, they think they're capable of this stuff, but really full-fledged adults are not. They're 11, capable. and also, yeah. the other girls have been running all of the admin up to now. Mm-hmm. It's not like anyone taught, like, trained them in nope. on how to be secretaries and whatnot. You know what? The other girls, like, deserve what they get for, is like, running out of town on what they think is going to be a nice beach holiday uh, and winding up in inn's mouth <laughs> with the frog people. Not getting paid. Not getting paid. Um, and it's it's really, it's their lookout. And Mallory and Jesse do a pretty good job, all things considered. It doesn't go 100% smoothly, no. but... Um, you know, they should just tear those pages of the record book out and be like, no, it was fine, Christy. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. 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 The, the club survives. 
it's fine. No one gets murdered. Everyone sucks in this book, mm. except for Karen Brewer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's about it. Everyone sucks in this book, except for Karen Brewer. I think that's our, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's the, our conclusion. Yeah. Um, happy Halloween, everybody. <laughs> happy Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing is scarier than shoddy plotting. <laughs> <laughs> I think shoddy characterization. Good point. Mm-hmm. I mean, the plot's not awful. There's a couple of bits that are kind of dropped, but the plotting is all right in this book. It's I, the characterization that's making us angry. I can't get over yeah. the scream that didn't happen. Okay, that's right. The scream didn't happen. That is a deal breaker Dawn for me. not happening to mention that accent sounded really weird when she, she could speak. And Dawn not mentioning that she lives in a literal haunted house with a secret yeah, passageway. That's true. Yeah, that's true. And Karen not mentioning that she lives in a haunted house with a forbidden floor. And nobody listening to the tape with the scream yes. on it. Yeah. They just assumed that it... Yeah. So all of these things are, are really unavoidably terrible (laughs) yes so if you are looking for a good scare this halloween read literally anything else (laughs) i have a super immature joke um go 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 that i like yeah i was just there's a bit where they're walking around the town and they're looking at all the local businesses and um my notes just say fudge depot and then in capitals (laughs) Fudge Depot. <laughs> yeah. It was like, I know that when you own a business that makes fudge, you have to reference fudge in the name, but this this just does not feel like a good name. For, surely it should be Yield Confectioner. Or some, make up something that isn't just Fudge Depot. And then much later on, there's the, um, the toxic masculinity plotline where Jason is... Christy is brokering this deal between Jason and the local softball players where she's like, no, I'm going to find him some men to hang around with, hang out with, you know, like big, muscular, sporty <laughs> men. No way. So that's probably not what she's doing. Um, she's <laughs> trying to introduce him to all these boys uh, so that they can play softball together. And they're like, oh yeah, we have a softball team, but all our best players are summer people. So we don't like summer people anymore. And um, our, our coach is a summer person. So he's gone uh, and nobody will sponsor us. Who'd sponsor our team? And I was like, oh, that's foreshadowing. And then I was like, please do not be sponsored by Fudge Joe. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. And- in the end, I was almost disappointed to discover <laughs> that Lionel got the theatre to sponsor them. I was like, I really felt like this was going in a different direction. But I, I actually, while we're tearing holes in this, <laughs> would just like to say, I don't think small independent rural theatres have the budget to sponsor local youth sports. That's not how that works. Theatres get sponsored by other things. They don't sponsor other things. This. Yeah. Theatres are, they're legendarily always broke. They're like, we don't have money for costumes, so wear your softball <laughs> costumes to this production of Shakespeare's Macbeth will be set on a set softball in- team. <laughs> Duncan is the coach now. We're going to make it work, guys. We're going to bludgeon him to death with a baseball bat. <laughs> um, yeah, maybe when they say sponsor, what they mean is you can put our name on your shirts but you're gonna have to fundraise to buy those well in fairness none of these children probably know how sponsoring works so they might be yeah. able to get away with that oh dear maybe they should have gone to the the budget <laughs> <laughs> i cannot explain on camera why i think that is funny so maybe... well i think from our responses it, yeah so we, we, 
Yeah. It, it is actually fun. This has actually okay, been the best been. part of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, we've been really angry this episode. Maybe we should make Fudge Depot merch. <laughs> Fudge Depot and... I wish I could shave an adult. <laughs> it's the Eva. It's the fact that I assumed it was an entire adult man that was being shaved. <laughs> I do I know his face. Out of context, and I forgot that I never said it. I was just like imagining this hairy bloke, yes. <laughs> like the dad Malcolm in the oh, Middle. I doubt it. Fuck. Yes. This is what I trained for. <laughs> to be honest, it didn't occur to me to think it could be anything else than the entire man <laughs> until you said this right now. <laughs> oh, my face hurts. Um, okay. Yeah. Did we get enough? I, yes, we have almost two and a half hours. Oh, God, I'm so sorry. It's all right. It's just, it's going to be a long episode. It's a double length book. It's a Halloween special. It's fine. Uh, happy Halloween, everybody. Happy, happy Halloween. Halloween. Oh, happy Spoopy Day. <laughs> on Christy for leaving two 11 year olds mm-hmm. at the, they've already acknowledged it's a super busy period Aoife, um, I have my mouth full yes I know <laughs> <laughs> if people can't understand then you know maybe they should listen to another podcast <laughs> yeah yeah Look, I made sausage rolls, but with white pudding instead of sausage, and they're really nice, and I walked past the plate of them, and I couldn't help myself. <laughs> okay, run it, run, run it by us again. I can't remember what I said, it's fine. <laughs>